When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. This is the bit where we pretend we're all grown up now, Ross. I think so, yeah. Are you okay for this? I am. Put on your serious head. Put all my jokes in a box. No messing. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Opinion Line. Uh, This is Casey and Ross standing in for... King Coogan, mm-hmm. who's uh, taking a little bit of an extended bank holiday weekend break. We're into the bank holiday weekend almost. Loads coming up on the show this morning. And just like that, Ross, we're back in lockdown. A place we didn't want to be, a place we thought we'd left behind, right? Yeah. A couple of months ago. Um, with something we thought we had under control. There was a little glimmer of light at the end of the social tunnel at the beginning just to shine with the announcement of some shows for Cork and bars were opening and restaurants were buzzing again and local sports teams were putting on the old jerseys and we heard we heard these warnings. This thing could lift its head again. Expect a second wave. Actually, there's no one in intensive care units. We're grand. And you only get it if you're, you're old. And it's only old people that are dying. We've, we've heard all of those stories. But those conversations very different this morning as we go into lockdown part two on a day where Taoiseach Micheál Martin says the HSC did not inform him about their decision uh, to get 2,500 COVID positive citizens to can you imagine telling them to carry out your own tracing yeah we can't do it as a government agency but you do it yourself HSC going ahead and telling everyone to do it and Micheál Martin saying that uh, he had no idea he wasn't informed about it Uh, we'll chat a little bit more about that we have so much good stuff coming up on the show this morning the team have been very busy uh, making sure we hold hold the force and mm-hmm. you know uh, make sure we up, uphold the professional I think the output. back wall's already been breached <laughs> <Yeah, I think laughs> so. expect a wrecking ball incoming uh, we have loads on the way for you this morning so Cork in lockdown we're going to speak to local businesses how one former Cork heroin addict transformed his life you need to hear this story um, Dr Matthew O'Toole is on uh, chatting to us about the tracing farce Brezzy's going to join us we were thinking with lockdown and everything Ross there's a lot of people that are going to be in the situation that they've been in for the last few months, their mental health is affected. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, we want to talk to a man who is primarily a musician, television personality, but has devoted his life for the last 10 years into making sure that we're all uh, minding our mental health. I don't think there's any celebrity uh, figures out there that have done as much for the mental health movement in the country. And he was one of the first to come out and kind of yeah. say it publicly. Uh, Brezzy will join us on the show a little bit later on. I've tracked down Joe Biden's cousin. Have you? From Mayo. Right. And we're all related to You're somebody from me. <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm, I'm Trump's uncle. Uh, you get around. <laughs> and also, one woman wants to give away her wedding dress and bridesmaids' dresses to somebody who really needs it. If you're in a situation where you want to get married and the funds aren't there, you're out of work or whatever the case may be, uh, we have this coming up later on for you, so stay with us and we'll find out a little bit more. Uh, did you see hashtag Christmas Eve was trending last night? I did, I did. It you, was a very... I went down the city earlier on during the day, like yeah. as in... 10 o'clock in the morning yeah uh, and it was it was bedlam it was pennies was like it was the day that they reopened yeah and every other shop had a queue of 6 to 10 people mm-hmm. little shoe shops 
news every day, every single yeah. shop had somebody going in there waiting to go in so it was like Christmas Eve yeah and yesterday afternoon the traffic just went bananas mm-hmm. I was stuck on Wellington uh, Hill or the Patrick's Hill going down onto, onto McCurtain Street uh, what felt like two days yeah uh, so there was a little bit of panic and there was a lot of buying going on um, the advice from, from shoppers is uh, and from businesses locally is we have plenty of stock and we will be back and uh, don't fret because there was a lot of people in the situation, Ross, as well, where uh, they were working all day yesterday and they were in a bit of a panic to get in last night. So last night was crazy. Or people who would have wanted to go shopping yeah. and didn't have the funds at that emergency The money's the big time. issue, yeah. yeah. So we sent Our Lady, uh, well, she's she's known as Our Lady in the Bible, but uh, biblically inside in, in Courts yeah. 96 FM, uh, Fiona is on the line with us. Good morning, Fiona, how are you? Good morning, Casey and Ross. How are you? Very good. <clears throat> a little, little bit shaky and a bit nervous, but you know, we're t- we're talking to you, so you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna bring some restore some order to the show. Um, listen, it's it's great to talk to you. Um, we we've woken up this morning, Fiona, in a very different Cork, in a very different Cork city, in a very different Cork county. So all non-essential uh, retail is closed and will remain closed for the weeks ahead, just before the shutters came down. And uh, Fiona was out and about chatting to everybody. Let's roll that audio, and we'll have a chat with you about how people are feeling out there. Let's, uh, let's have a listen. So my name is Eddie Mullins from Fitzgerald Menswear on Patrick Street. For every retailer, it's disappointing. Shops are full of Christmas stock. But look, we are also accepting that it's for the, the public good and the common good and this has to be done. Um, so we'll uh, batten down the hatches for a few weeks, look forward to getting back and hopefully, maybe we might get back within four weeks. We keep the fingers crossed. What kind of an impact will it have on trade? Well, I think, obviously, being closed will be decimated. Um, For people maybe that are online, they'll have some hope. And obviously, there's such a build-up to Christmas all throughout November, so we're losing that in the city as well. Yeah, we are. We're losing an atmosphere. November always builds, even in past years. Uh, October also built so but there is an intensity about December and I think it'll be all the more important this year for people to maybe shop local and maybe to stay away from Amazon um, and uh, think think about people that they know working in shops and families and the livelihoods I think people shouldn't panic that there is plenty of time in December and we'll be working extra hours and there'll be late nights and there'll be Sundays so there will be plenty of time and again we're open to facilitate anybody if they want to come in after hours if they feel vulnerable we're here to help and we're here to, to be of service Oh it's heartbreaking and uh, we're going to miss the shops and stuff and that like you know so it is going to be hard on us, on people and the staff too. It is hard, like, but you know, it is very hard. Do you think that people are panicking now ahead of Christmas? Oh, I say people are at the moment, but you know, as I said, just you know, it's going to be hard, and like, just take every day as it come. And have you got everything that you need now before Christmas, or will you be doing more shopping, last-minute shopping in December? I have most of it, I could say, yeah. Will you miss oh, pennies? I'll miss pennies and I'll miss other places. I'm Guyanese. <laughs> How I am, I'm Pat. I'm the store manager, Michael Guyanese. Heartbreaking, surreal, unreal. That's the right word, it really. It's needed, definitely needed, but unfortunately, the time of year and everything else that's involved in it, it's. It is what it is. You, know. you guys have all of your Christmas stock in and decorations for the house and the tablecloths and the tea towels. So are you concerned that that stock may not sell now? No, because we have a very good, loyal customer base and I know on the 1st of December they're going to be back in Dutch robes. I have no doubt come 1st of December we'll be back with a bang and Guyanese will be back with a bang. Like when I was growing up, December was always the busiest month and not October, November and I think we'll be back to the 70s and the 80s and the people will come out in Dutch robes and support Cork business. Are people in a bit of a panic, shoppers, today? 
Possibly. I mean, our wools are flying, our cotton is flying, materials are flying off the shelf, but I think there's going to be a lot of home oh, arts and crafts and whatever else going on for the next six weeks. But um, hopefully, in six weeks' time, it'll be back somewhere normality. You know, we've no doubt it's going to be here for a long. It's going to be here for a long time. It's not here for a short time, and we just have to work with it. I think I'm kind of after getting used to it because it's been so up and down anyway. So yeah, I think it's just the way it is, really, isn't it? We have to do it. So keep people safe. And were you in a panic about Christmas shopping? Or? No, actually, because I knew this would probably happen. So I did my shopping last month. <laughs> is there anything that you're going to particularly miss? Um. Do you know what I, what I probably will miss is just even the sitting out in a coffee shop, just getting that bit of time out and a bit of mental space, <laughs> you know, from home a bit. So I will miss that where I get to read my book. I think it's something nice about being around people, walking around, even if you're not shopping. Raw routine, you know, you'd have a routine there every week and it's just all gone now, is it? You know, so, you know, just going out for a cup of coffee at the way for no point at the weekend and GA matches, going to GA matches, you know, and all that kind of thing, you know. And, and so you've got the Smith's Toys uh, bag here. Yeah. You're just trying to get some last-minute shopping done oh, before yeah, the lockdown? My wife has gone in there and she, she's just uh, left me standing with the bag, yeah. yeah. She does all the shopping. She's organised, you know what I mean? John Neville, Neville Jr. I think it's unfortunate that it's going to be for six weeks. It's going to decimate retail uh, and we uh, are just getting back on our feet. Uh, I understand the health and safety of the whole thing, but I think that retail hasn't been a, a major cause of the spread of the virus because all the precautions we've taken over the last number of months, screens and uh, social distancing and uh, disinfectant at the doors and we've UV filters and everything for cleaning the place at night. It's We've done everything. It, it is, it, it's important to get it right. I do think it's unfair though because I think anybody in retail will tell you that you know 40% of their business is done in November, December. So we're losing one of the biggest parts of our year. Uh, and that includes like uh, you know fellows that supply us that are up and down the country, whether that's guys providing bags or other suppliers that we have. Uh, and uh, it's it's a significant uh, hit on SMEs, which are the backbone of the country. Do you think that when the country reopens at the start of December that that will make up for the loss of November? Uh, I think no it won't we're not going to recover uh, what if we've lost in November it's not going to happen Um, and to think that I laughed in your face when you Mm -hmm. came in here in the middle of August saying that you had 10 items bought for your beloved yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and you said mm-hmm. don't be causing a panic now and I was like no this is how you don't cause a panic <laughs> you, you get on top of warning someone way ahead of time yeah Fiona you spent yesterday on the streets of Cork and you were in the thick of it on Tuesday morning you did an incredible job uh, covering uh, the city floods how would you describe the mood amongst shoppers and retailers um, you know and particularly people that were forced to, to shut up shop yeah, well, obviously, Casey, there was a completely different atmosphere on Tuesday morning and yesterday morning. I think um, after the Taoiseach had made his announcement on Monday that we were going into this six-week lockdown, everyone was preparing for a really, really busy day on Tuesday. And then Tuesday morning, obviously, they came in and saw that the city was underwater. So there was um, a real kind of an upset and a sense of sadness on Tuesday and a, a real sense of disbelief. I mean, even myself, I was standing in the middle of a flood just looking around saying, like, you actually couldn't make this up. Um, and, you know, the, the retailers had two days to really, you know, make a profit and just, you know, get people in for those two days. And they, yet they were brushing water out of their, their stores. But walking around yesterday, I mean, there was absolutely no evidence that there had been a flood. There was a few places maybe with shutters up, but walking around the streets, it was business as usual. And it just shows, I suppose, the strength and resilience that people have in the city centre, that they literally brushed themselves off and, mm-hmm. and got back into got back into business as quickly as they could. And yesterday, as you said there in the introduction, 
it was like a scene from Christmas Eve where you had so many people in in town yesterday. There was the big massive queue outside Penny's. But like, you know, even though people were, um, I don't know if I'd even use the word panic. I think people, there was an urgency there that, um, you know, during the last lockdown, um, people were queuing outside shops and we saw people filling up trolleys with uh, dried foods and toilet roll and there was a real anxiousness amongst people but yesterday I think it was more a case of you know people wanted to get a few bits in for Christmas in case the lockdown goes on for longer than the six weeks but I think it was you know people just wanted to kind of feel some sort of um, normalcy again before they go into this six week lockdown and you heard that man in the box pop there he was saying that you know routine and life as he knows it is just gone, like even just for simple things like going in and meeting somebody for a cup of coffee or a pint in the pub. Yeah. Like that's all gone now for people. So um, I think it was just like even I was talking to somebody yesterday and they said to me that they just wanted to get a fix. They just wanted to feel mm-hmm. normal, go into a shop, go and buy, you know, their Christmas pajamas or their fluffy socks or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just to have that. And I think with the retailers as well, you know, they, um, you know, they've had a tough year. 2020 has obviously been tough on everyone. Um, but they were really looking forward to the months of November and December. And, you know, that's when they make up most of their trade throughout the whole year. And the, the profits that they make in November and December will then see them through January, February and March, which are traditionally quiet times of the year. Okay. Well, and, and now they don't have that. They don't have the, the November buzz in the city centre and they don't have that um, the amount of sales that they would normally have and I think that they were um, you know upset concerned and also angry because as you heard John Neville from Neville's Jewellers say um, you know retailers have really gone out of their way to try and make sure that everybody is following the guidelines they've all installed um, their, their perspex screens all the staff have been wearing masks they all have hand sanitising stations on the way in they've been controlling the amount of people that are coming in and there hasn't been a huge amount of confirmed cases associated with shops. So they feel that they're, you know, th- there was an acceptance that this is what we have to do as a country to try and get those numbers down. But they feel that, you know, they've been following all the guidelines and yet they're the ones that are being penalised. Um, and so I, I spoke actually yesterday to two guys that I met on the street and they were um, angry about having the whole country having to go into lockdown. And I suppose they're kind of voicing um, the the anger that a lot of people were maybe feeling yesterday. And you, you might have a clip there of that. I can't believe it. Another six weeks. Just getting out. Because we're, we're down in College Common at the moment. They're doing a course. And we have a routine going on and it's gone. You know, I know, I know it's all health comes first. Like, but, I, you know, there's, there could be another way. Like, restrictions in. Like, but don't lock us down completely. It's crazy. Like, you know. I just think, you know, keep restrictions on certain things and bring introduce the fines, fair enough, like, you know, for house parties and things like that, like, but locking down the whole country is crazy, like, I think. I think, on the opposite, I think the Irish people have failed as a society. We were asked in March to stay away from each other, keep a distance, wash our hands, wear a mask, and the amount of whinging and cribbing that's going on from people about wearing a mask. And the problem is, is I know the government are saying that the vast majority of people are paying attention to the rules. In this case, it doesn't matter if the vast majority of people pay attention to the rules. It takes one person to infect 60, as we've seen on the news, people not self-isolating when they come back. And there's no, there's no repercussions for those people, and this is the issue. So people that are breaking, blatantly, fragrantly breaking the, breaking the laws and breaking the rules in regards to lockdown and wearing face, mask and face masks and self-isolating when they come back from holidays or coming back from anywhere, there's no repercussions to why they do it. The sense of entitlement 
exactly the sense of entitlement in the country has gone through the roof. We wouldn't have to close down if people from day one had followed the rules, but they're not. So because they're not following the rules, people that have been following the rules, like me and my family, these lads here, we follow the rules. I know we have to go into lockdown and do what we've been doing since March for another six weeks because people decided they don't want to. And some people will look down on people that won't go out to house parties or people will look down on people, well, I'll do what I want, and look down on people that decide, no, I'm going to do the right thing, are being looked down on by, I don't want to use the word, no, but by these people that think they can do what they want. And the reason they think they can do what they want is because they're being left to do what they want. That's the problem. I would be very surprised if one single final musician was issued because the court system in this country with the rights of appeal that people have isn't fit for purpose. Now, Fiona, there's, there's, you know, in the beginning we were told, you know, hope and resilience and all that kind of stuff was, was what everybody entered the first lockdown with. And it seems a lot of it has been replaced with, you know, anger and resentment towards even people in your own community. Uh, was there much hope and resilience there yesterday? Like, like, are people remaining positive about the potential of a bumper Christmas for retailers? Yeah, Ross, I think they are. I mean, I think it's, you know, they're really hoping now that they will get to open on the 1st of December and that the lockdown isn't extended for another couple of weeks. And I think everybody knows that if we just all do what we're supposed to do now um, for the next six weeks, just stay at home, stay, you know, follow the guidelines, that hopefully we will be able to open up the country again on the 1st of December and that we'll all be able to celebrate Christmas. And I suppose uh, for the retailers, they're really hoping that, you know, 1st of December comes, that they'll be able to open their doors and that people will be able to come and, you know, make their last minute Christmas purchases. You know, the store manager of Michael Guiney's, Pat, said to me yesterday, and I think it was kind of an interesting point as well, that, you know, December was always the month where it was going to be really busy. And I think, um, you know, people going shopping for Christmas in October and November is a relatively new phenomenon, even over the last couple of years. Um, and he was saying that, you know, you're always going to have people who are not prepared for Christmas. And, you know, they're running into town in a panic two days out from Christmas trying to get all the, the shopping done. So they're hoping that there will be um, that kind of that that will return in December and that people who maybe haven't been able to get anything over you, you know you said there Ross about people may not have had the money um, and I, you know I did speak to a woman yesterday in the street who said that as well yesterday and that people were working over the last few days so they may, mightn't have had a chance to get into the city and they're hoping that those people uh, will be able to come back and I suppose because the shops will have been closed for six weeks People will, you know, as I said there about, you know, people just coming into the city just to have something normal to do. They will all flock back into the city again um, when the shops open in December and traders are really hoping that they'll um, have a bumper Christmas, have a bumper December. Um, but I think um, there is concern there. Obviously, John Neville from Neville's Jewelers said it himself, like he doesn't think that whatever they sell in, in December will make up for the loss of November. But... Um, you know, I think they're just, they're just like, I think that's what people have to, 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 to carry on now at this stage is just hope that people need hope at this stage and hope that we'll be able to have a good Christmas when it does come around. And one very strong message coming from all of the retailers that you spoke to yesterday was that for all of us this year, more, more so than ever, was to shop local and, and shop Irish this Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think as well, a lot of the shops are closed, but um, they're maybe offering an online service and doing delivery. So if people are sitting at home during the lockdown and they're scrolling through their phone and they're deciding to do a bit of online shopping, maybe check and see if any of the independent retailers in Cork City are doing an online offering and maybe um, do that instead of going to Amazon or going to some of the, the UK shops. And I know that, um, you know, 
a lot of you might get a cheaper offering elsewhere but I think it's so important now to support local businesses because the heart of Cork City is those independent retailers that make the city unique and if they all go you know it's going to be a very sad state of affairs for Cork City going forward and a lot of those businesses are family businesses and they've been around like somebody said to me that Michael Guiney's is an institution in Cork and for places like that to go it would be absolutely heartbreaking for the city so I think that when people are shopping if it's online over the next couple of weeks or even when the lockdown does end and we get to go back in in a physical capacity that they will rem- remember to, to support local and as best they can and shop local. Fiona, great job on a week that you didn't know you'd need your waders, you yep. pulled them out, you covered floods <laughs> you've covered everything, great work we'll talk to you soon, thank you so much Thank you. Uh, 9.25 is the time you're on the Opinion Line with Casey and Ross in for PJ Coogan this morning Tom has been on to us to say, I've just come off the with a family in Australia and they cannot understand uh, why they do not sanitise Cork City and Cork County at night. The footpaths, the bins, door handles and so on. A truck drives by and sprays disinfectant. This happens in China, it happens in France, it happens in Greece, happens in many places and I hear there's an outbreak of hepatitis 2 going on, uh, according to Tom. It's probably down to funding. It's probably a money thing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And also them trying to get just the most basic of things sorted like contact tracing and they're struggling with that yeah. and then you're saying right let's hop into trucks and start disinfecting they probably don't have the infrastructure yeah. uh, also we have someone uh, who texted in saying what's the point in having free car parks in the city when everything is closed why don't they have them free when the shops are open which is a good point I don't think they anticipated uh, it, it all to be closed up Lads, traffic was tailed back as far as Middleton. I was held up for 40 minutes and I'm a taxi driver and that's my prime earning. Um, I may as well go home now, uh, according to a taxi driver who's been on to us. And another caller says, we're supposed to be in lockdown. What the hell was going on with the traffic? It was the same as ever. I don't think people are buying into it and they'd want to or it'll be at more than six weeks. I'd love to come on here, but I can't uh, stand the grief I'd get from those fellas that don't believe. Uh, and there's a bit of that out there. Hello, Neve. Good morning. Is Neve there? Line six. Sorry, my bad. I'm, uh, I should be good at this now at this stage, Ross, really. You know, yeah, it's one of many. Uh, no, we've lost Neve. Not to worry. We'll get her back after the break. Uh, okay, so your comments, please. 0833 96 96 96. That is the number. Uh, if you want to text or WhatsApp at any time, uh, we're here. Uh, we're open for business. And you can call us also on 1850 715 996. That is the number. This is the opinion line. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Casey and Ross in for a PJ Coogan this morning. Did you expect to be talking about traffic jams on day one of lockdown? Uh, I did not. Part two. Liam, I... what's going on, Liam? Hi, Casey, how are you doing? Very good. Are you under pressure? No. No, right. just stuck in traffic. I haven't moved now for about 40 minutes, I'd say, since I got to Belvilly Bridge. Where are you exactly? Cove Cross to Belvilly Bridge? Right, I'm about 500 yards on the Carrick Tool side of Belvilly Bridge. Okay, and what's going on? Is it checkpoints? Yeah, yeah, it's a checkpoint at Cove Cross. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came into Carrick Tool this morning at 7 o'clock, mm-hmm. um, and I, I came out onto the main road heading for the city on the um, Barry's Court side of Carrick Tool. Okay. And it took me about 20 minutes to get to the other carry tool exit. Um, the road is closed. Yeah. Everything is being diverted up the cove exit. Okay. And then you have to just go around the roundabout by Merck, you know, just at the top of the exit. Yep. And back down onto the main road. There's a guard there. He's not stopping traffic. Well, he oh. wasn't when I passed anywhere. Yeah. Um, and then I carried on. I have to come back into cove then. I come across from Monkstown into cove as a run I do every morning. Yeah. And... I left Rushbrook there now at quarter to nine 
and I'm about I'm about five hundred yards now on the carry tool side of Bell Valley. Well, I was stuck in. I'm at the phone in. I'm at the phone in Cove Guards twice. Yeah, uh, they explained it's Operation Finocht. It's going to be there for six weeks every morning. And this is going to be every morning mm-hmm. for six. Well, that's, hope, what told, like, that's what I was told by a guard in Cove. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, you, Liam, over the next couple of days, it's it's going to ease off a little bit. I think there's just a bit of adjustment it, to be done to this. Passing on all the complaints onto management. Yeah, she, she accepted that. Um, this isn't ideal. Yeah, you know, because it's going there to blame. It's coming from management and even above management. She said, "Okay." Liam, Liam, I was stuck in the same traffic jam this morning coming from Carrigtool. I got off at the first exit and it took me 35 minutes to get to the second one. The thing is, the, the guard on the roundabout wasn't stopping anyone. He was literally just... The cones that were there, you're literally going up a roundabout to go onto the other side of cones that are blocking the road. Mm-hmm. So there's no need to stop them because the only people they were stopping when I went up there was people leaving Carrigtool uh, village onto that roundabout from another road. So there was actually no real reason to stop the traffic on the link or on the on the dual carriageway. Okay. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we'll get we'll get blankets and soup sent over to you there and, and, and hugs. <laughs> All right. Thanks for ringing in, Liam. No Cheers, Leo. Yeah, have a good day. Thanks very much Hello. for that. All right. Uh, this is the number 1850-715-996 if you want to give us a shout this morning. Niamh, good morning. Good morning, Horsing. You cut uh, me off. <laughs> I did. It's my fault. I'm a klutz. Um, listen, this is what uh, the message from you was last night. The bustle of Christmas, but none of the happiness. Palpable anger from shoppers and despair from the traders. You were on the streets of Cork yesterday. That's what you felt. That's what I felt, yeah. I finished work and I headed in. I, I suppose, like many people, I have a, a lockdown resolution. I want to learn how to play the ukulele. Okay. So I went into Pro Musica to get myself a ukulele and they were nearly all sold out, so loads of other people obviously have the same idea. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I kind of basically um, just had a quick walk around, but there was a very strange atmosphere there. It was extremely busy, but, like, you know the way normally at Christmas time there's a bit of a a buzz, people are having the crack, catching up, you know, meeting, meeting people you haven't seen all year, yeah. stuff like that. There was obviously none of that. Um, so but, so all, all, all of the stress and none of the joy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and you know, all the, obviously all the uh, restaurants and pubs and stuff were all closed except for a few little seats outside. Now, thankfully it was a dry day yesterday. I was delighted to see that yeah. for the traders in Cork, you know, um, and I hope they did great business yesterday, but it's very tough for for them, you know, um, facing into this lockdown now. Neve, tell us a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so, uh, apart from tweeting, I'm a paediatrician in the Bonskor Hospital in Cork. Okay. Um, so, I suppose I, from, the, from the beginning, I've been kind of passionate about people wearing masks and adhering to the guidelines in terms of limiting contacts and social distancing, hygiene, isolating if you're sick and obviously wearing a mask. Yeah. And I've been sort of kind of putting that out there for a couple of months now because I, I could see see that um, it looked like maybe people weren't doing that um, and unfortunately that has proven to be <laughs> correct and we're, we are where we are now in terms of numbers going up so quickly. Um, so, you know, I suppose it's important for people not to feel too desperate at this time either. Um, I can understand why the lockdown has to happen in terms of numbers, but I also have the utmost sympathy for 
businesses that have put so much preparation and effort into getting COVID ready and COVID safe and are now um, facing six weeks of no business again. It's very yeah. tough. And how does it feel when you see somebody uh, wearing no mask? And I know there's been a lot of kind of um, dissent between people and it's kind of, there's almost been like a split in society where people are mask, anti-mask. But how does it feel for someone who's working in the medical profession, who's seeing people, you know, not adhering to what's essentially we think is for our own, you know, benefits? Well, you know, my, my catchphrase has always been my mask protects you and your mask protects me. So if I see somebody who's not wearing a mask, I keep my distance from them because, um, you know, they're not being asked to wear a mask to protect themselves, really. They're being asked to wear a mask so that if they have COVID that's not symptomatic, that they don't pass it on to anybody else. Um, the mask seems to have become some sort of a weird emblem, you know. It's a piece of cloth. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As, you know, people saying, oh, it's not natural. Well, it's not necessarily natural to wear shoes either, but we do it to protect our feet from. Yeah you know the elements so you know the mask is it's, it's a sort of a to me it's a symbol of community cohesion um you know that i'm prepared to wear this mask so that if i cough my droplets are, are caught in the mask and they are not spread around that's why people are being asked to wear masks uh, and there are people who argue that oh it won't protect you from covid19 uh, yeah it might not if you're you know in close proximity to somebody who's not wearing a mask and they cough in your face and it could land in other parts of your face um but it will help prevent you from spreading it um and so you know this whole mask anti-mask thing is an on-runner for me and if i someone see someone who doesn't wear a mask i simply steer clear of them Mm -hmm. um how is the um the atmosphere up in the hospital at the moment with your colleagues how do you is there is there a sense of fear up there at the moment that things are, are slowly but surely getting out of hand um, I think we're more uh, disappointed than afraid, if you know what I mean, like yeah. we're, that we're back in this position again. Um, it, we're in a better position in terms of having adequate PPE this time around. Um, testing is so much better. It's so much faster. Like in the beginning of all of this back in um, March and April, I'm sure there were probably a lot of people in the community who had it and didn't know they had it, but we just didn't have the testing capacity. Um, whereas now we have a much better idea of where where the disease is, where it's clustered. Um, who's at risk much much better at managing people with COVID-19 now as well um, you know we're learning all the time thankfully in my area in paediatrics children don't tend to get badly affected by it so that's at least one small blessing you know Okay well listen uh, we were out banging pots for the frontline heroes and uh, that's all kind of died down so we need to remember how important it is uh, people like you and, and all your colleagues the great work that you're doing across Cork and across the country Neve, stay safe Thanks uh, Thanks a million guys Take care of yourself yeah, Thanks a million for getting Thank in contact with us Alright uh, 9.37 is the time uh, Over to line one. Uh, yeah. Louise is also stuck in those traffic jams around Cove. Uh, she's on line one. Louise, Morning, how Louise. are you? Morning. What's going on? Well, I didn't expect to hear you while I was still in the car this morning. Normally I'm gone into work by the time you're finished. Do we give you a heart attack? Um, <laughs> I'm an overnight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm counting the bricks on the wall on the photo road. Oh, right. Um, let, us know, let us know how many. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's that bad. How long have you been stuck there, did you say? I dropped my children at school an hour ago in Cove and yeah. I am not at the, I'm nowhere near the hotel entrance. Oh. A journey that takes you how long traditionally uh, on a day-to-day basis, Louise? Well, I can drop them at, at 8.40 and I can be in work by 9.15 without a problem in the last few months. Okay. Is this um, going to be a daily thing now? Is this what, we're, what you're faced with well, out there? Well, according to the man a few cars back, it, it seems to be, to yeah. be the plan. Um, now the problem for us coming from Cove and it happened the last time when they're directing the cars from Middleton up the slip road they have right away on the roundabout by Bramley Lodge so we just have to wait for a break in that traffic but it's a constant flow so you're just sitting here 
even if the guard intervened and stopped them for a second and let 10, 15, 20 cars from Cove go down, we'd be in a better position. But if he's just standing there, which is, you know, I, I can see why he's there and awareness and everything and yeah. education, and, but this is just not... Oh, but, but, uh, uh, by the way, something worth noting as well, Louise. You know, the guards are under instruction to do something. That you can't, you know, we, we can't yeah. be angry with them. No, no. And uh, no. you know, they've they've, yeah. they've been given positions to take care of. And, uh, yeah. and I assume I assume every person that's driven past that guard this morning has given him the, the daggers of yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. going yeah. I'm doing a job. See, yeah. see, like from knowing from the last time when they were stopping and we had to produce our letter back at the start because I've been, like some of us have been working every day since March um, and you produce your letter they're the nicest they're so nice and friendly mm-hmm. and they are doing their job and you know there is an absolute reason for it the restrictions are there you know your previous caller I would I have come across her in work and like it's everything she said is completely valid. But I have a 13 year old autistic son. Do I now drop him outside a locked school at, I don't know, 8 o'clock in the morning for the next, after the midterm for four weeks? I have a five year old. Do I drop him outside a locked school so I can get to work in time? This is, this is the thing parents are faced with. Yeah. And I know it's been the same with my own wife dropping kids to school. Uh, when schools put procedures in place where you can turn up at nine, but you can't go in the gate until quarter past, or you can't get near the class till mm-hmm. half past, parents have to yeah. deal with traffic getting into work. Uh, all of this stuff is. It's so stressful at the moment. And it's stuff I it think is. that I think it's stuff that when one department makes a decision, yeah. it's not yeah. really being thought about as how does how does this affect against, uh, against all of yeah. society as a yeah. blanket because they're just thinking we need to do this thing, get this thing done, but they're not thinking of the knock on effects and it could affect somebody's entire working week yeah. when it's already it's, stressed. Yeah. And the lockdown the lockdown this time with five kilometre restrictions is totally different to the last time. People from Cove have to drive to Carrickool into the city for Of course school. they do, yeah. You yeah. don't have you know people in Carrickool and Middleton don't have enough school places. That's a whole other issue. That's why we're on the road. You know, a lot of taxis are on the road with kids with special needs to get to schools with units. There's, you know, there's just so much more traffic now than there was back in March. So Mm -hmm. trying to have the same, you know, guard operations, it's just going to have a big impact. Louise, can I make a suggestion? Go home tonight. (laughs) Go home tonight, put the feet up and put up the Christmas tree. No oh, message. I, Straight I, I into it. Off. I thought you were going to say by a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> That's option two. <laughs> Listen, mind yourself. I hope you're not stuck Thank there uh, for Thanks, much longer. Louise. Thanks for ringing in, Louise. Hope Take care. Um, lads, how are Sports Ireland determining what stays open as elite sports and what should close? Dog racing stays open, but golf courses don't. Uh, you cannot get more socially distanced when playing golf. Well, definitely when I'm playing golf. Well, I, I conceived my second child on the 11th. <laughs> <laughs> I usually tee off and end up in Limerick. <laughs> that's social distancing. Uh, yeah, another big story that's, that's knocking around and has broken over the last 24 hours. Uh, Taoiseach Michal Martin has revealed that the HSE did not inform him of their decision uh, to get 2,500 COVID-positive people to carry out their own contract contact tracing uh, after it was branded absolutely bonkers by the doll Mm -hmm. uh, on the Tonight Show on Virgin Media 1 last night with Matt Cooper. Dr. Matthew O'Toole had this to say. The biggest issue I'd say, Matt, is it's going to take at least two weeks for the current lockdown measures to lead to a reduction in case numbers and we're not confident that the HSE has the ability to contact trace 1,000 cases per day and that has huge consequences for the duration of this current lockdown because what's happening is we have uncontrolled community spread of COVID that we're not contact tracing, which is the only way we can prevent the spread and that is going to have to continue for two weeks because the case number is going to be in excess of 1,000. So the big concern that I would have 
have is that this lockdown is going to have to go on for longer than we expect because we don't have the capacity to deal with it. Uh, we'll talk to Dr. Matthew straight after the break. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Okay, 10 minutes to 10 is the time. The Opinion Line with Casey and Ross in for uh, Mr. PJ Coogan this morning. Uh, Dr. Matthew O'Toole, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Morning. Thank you so much for talking to us. As a working GP, I can imagine things are, are hectic this morning, so we won't keep you very long. Um, we just wanted to chat to you. First of all, uh, last night, the, the chat that you had with Matt Cooper was, was pretty fascinating. Dr. Matthew, this is a, this is a mess. Uh, we have the HSC making calls that the Taoiseach of the country says did not inform him on. Um, how dangerous do you think this is? Yeah, well, look, I, I think, to be honest, that it's a mess. It's a complete understatement. Uh, I mean, the, the, the HC decided that they weren't going to, to bother contact tracing positive cases on Friday, Saturday or Sunday, that they would simply ignore that, ask people to contact trace themselves and then reset the button and start again on Monday and kind of thought that they'd get away with it and that there wouldn't be a problem, so much so that they didn't seem to bother informing everyone. So it's just completely incredible. And I think, I suppose, what's really shocking for us is that the HC seems to be saying that they were blind blindsided by this but how they could have been blindsided I don't know as I said last night it's not like the cases went from 20 to 1000 overnight we've had a really slow gradual increase in number of cases and it would appear now that the HSC was just unprepared for it and that the big concern that we would have is that the, I don't think that they have the ability to contact tracing 1000 people a day and there's, there's no guarantee that the system isn't going to just collapse again so yeah. I'm trying to break this down logically. Yeah. Okay? Uh, and the thinking is, someone who's really sick with COVID sits up in bed and messages everyone they've been in contact with over the past week. Uh, and that's a perfectly logical request in the eyes of the HSE. Well, exactly. And I mean, you've put it better than I could. It's totally ridiculous. I mean, look, the first thing is, there, you know, there's a large proportion of people that get COVID that are fine, but there's also an equally large number that they're not sick that they have to go to hospital, but they're incredibly fatigued. They take to the bed. They're not well enough to be picking up the phone and ringing everyone that they've potentially been in contact with. And, and to be honest, more importantly, what I'm seeing as a GP is people just don't want to do that. And there's a whole host of reasons for that, including the fact that they may potentially be embarrassed that they could have potentially infected people with COVID. So to ask people to do the job of a contact tracer who has been trained in contact tracing is just a joke. And the lockdown strategy then, Dr. Matthew, uh, we're going into a second lockdown. Um, do, you, do you think this is the best strategy as a country? Do you think we should be here now? So to be honest, I think the only positive that's come out of the fact that contact tracing has collapsed is it has absolutely justified the need for us to go into lockdown. So I suppose to put this into perspective, like the only tool we have in controlling community spread of COVID is contact tracing. So a test is, is good, but by the time somebody tests positive, it's too late because they're, they have COVID. So what we should be doing is trying to prevent it. And the only way you can do that is by using contact tracing. And there's only two ways that you can actually sustain contact tracing when you have a thousand cases a day. Number one is to increase the amount of contact tracing capacity, which the HC seems incapable of doing. Mm. And the second option, as I said, is to, to reduce the number of cases to a level that the HC can successfully start contact tracing again. So I, I think, unfortunately, because the contact tracing system has failed, at the moment we have no option but to lock down. Because if we don't, as I said, we just have rampant spread of COVID uh, for weeks to come. Now, there seems to be a you know, there's there's a kind of a, you know, the buck stops with the government in terms of what everyone's expecting them to, you know, to, to give the information out to the public. And there seems to be a lack of communication even within the HSE to the government and within the government itself. Uh, and they don't seem to be very transparent in, you know, what they do and what they don't know. So what do you think the government needs to do and what needs to be focused on? 
Yeah, well, look, I mean, I'd be the first one to blame the government, but I actually don't think you can blame the government for this one. I mean, to be fair, uh, whether it's the Taoiseach or the Taunus or the Minister for Health, they've been asked every single week since the start of the pandemic by various TDs in Leinster House had they got the capacity to contact Trace and they've been told by the HC that they do uh, and, and to be honest you know they, they were all blindsided by this on Monday night because nobody told them so th- this to be fair doesn't seem to be the government's fault it just seems to be an, a complete failure on the HSE's fault so I think what we need to do is look we're, we're going into a second lockdown now as I said the first one was you know inevitable this one is a, a, a unfortunate but we, we cannot go into a third lockdown and what we need to do now is use the, the six weeks in lockdown to get our house in order we need to improve the contact tracing capabilities there are 250,000 people that are going to be made redundant because of this. How in the name of God has no one thought about employing some of these people as contact tracers is beyond me. Mm. We have the resources to do that. We need to do that now. And if it's not done immediately within the next two or three weeks, heads will have to roll because it's just completely unacceptable and there's no excuse for it. Can can people listening know, uh, Dr. Matthew, um, people that are listening have any confidence in the test and trace system off the back of this? The testing system is holding up well. I mean, to be fair, we're still able to get tests within 24 hours and we're able to get results for patients within about 48 hours. But the, 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 the contact tracing system has been failing and it's been failing for, I would say, well over a week. I mean, I've been in contact with GPs on the border, counties in particular, who have said, who have actually had to start contact tracing themselves, GPs in Donegal, because contact tracing just wasn't able to keep up. So at the moment, I would have full yeah, confidence in the testing system but I would say it's very difficult at the moment to have confidence in the contact tracing system what I would say is this is not the fault of the public health doctors and it's not the fault of the contact tracers they're basically worked to the bone and they just simply there aren't enough hours in the day and there aren't enough of them to be able to do this successfully so it's it basically the book stops the HSC with this one yeah. With a clear break of over a thousand cases a day uh, in reality do you think can we test trace isolate successfully? So we can. I mean, that's a question that was asked. I mean, and, and, and our limit at the moment seems to be somewhere around a thousand cases. And if we go beyond that, the contact tracing system simply doesn't seem to have the capacity to do that. But we have other EU countries that are able to contact trace, you know, five, ten thousand cases a day. So, you know, it, it becomes very difficult when you when you reach that number of cases. Uh, and really, I mean, the other argument you could put to it is if as a country we have a thousand cases on a daily basis, the system has kind of failed because we should never get to that stage. Do you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and that's why as I said, the WHO says lockdown it really isn't a solution. It's kind of a last resort and it's unfortunate that we're kind of at that stage now. But my hope will be, and this is the million dollar question, that this lockdown will be effective. I mean, I don't know about you, but the traffic on the way to work for me today was, was probably worse than it was yesterday. And my big question would be, are people going to adhere to this lockdown as tightly as they did to the last one? Dr. Matthew, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, I know you've got your own battles going on there in the, uh, in the uh, GP headquarters. So uh, keep up the good work and we'll talk to you soon. There you go. That's a, that's a nice, that's a, a binary goodbye. <laughs> no uh, messing. <laughs> uh, we're getting texts in. Unfortunately, Micheál Martin can't even read an auto queue properly to inform the country if it is shutting down. This morning he told Cork businesses that he understood their distress at being flooded. That was obviously two days ago, uh, the day before lockdown. This man earns 240 grand a year and he doesn't understand how this shutdown will destroy families forced to survive on 350 euros a week with banks banging on their doors for mortgage payments and car repayments. Uh, thanks so many for that uh, that comment uh, more coming into us on this number 083 396 96 96 can the army 
Navy not be trained to help with test and tracing questions mm-hmm. somebody here uh, very good point um, they they already are to a degree aren't they there was well, yeah. I, th- I think when the, the whole lockdown initially kicked off we saw those images of tents being set up and and, uh, and everyone of, was scaremongering thinking of course oh, yeah. military uh, yeah, North Korea yeah but yeah but it wasn't it was yeah. obviously they were doing it along the docklands in Dublin yeah anything else for us 083 396 96 96 or you can call 1850 715 996 he likes to rock out he's a mental health advocate he's a podcast host for the Where's My Mind podcast which is excellent yeah. and it recently won gold at the British Podcast Awards uh, given the onslaught of bad news that we've had over the last couple of weeks um, the one thing that we all need to mind is mind their mental health um, you know it, it's a stressful time and never more than any time now have we needed to take care of ourselves and the people that are around us and learn how to control the anxiety and the stresses that we're all faced yeah. with and uh, no better man to have a chat with it's also his birthday today he's ah. 40 happy birthday Brezzy morning thank you how are you uh, we're, we're good. good we're good, we're how, good. Are Listen, how are you how are you feeling for hitting the old 4 yeah I well do you know what I, I, I didn't think when I was going to be rolling in my 40 that the entire country was going to lock down on that very day yeah um, so it wasn't what I had planned but I don't think anybody uh this is not what anybody had planned for 2020 so yeah yeah I mean it, it is what it is but I kind of feel apparently 40 is when you let it all go I don't know what that means but um, hopefully it's legal so that's what I <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you let it all go in the sense of you know all that kind of serious stuff you took on in the 30s you just don't really care about it as much anymore I genuinely, yeah. Well, like, I actually luckily enough let that go in the mid thirties, where I was kind of like, oh my god, so it's like, and it so, kind of sounds like when you say that sometimes to somebody young, they go, oh god, that sounds quite patronising or condescending. But you do yeah. really genuinely waste so much energy on such trivial things when you get a bit older. Like, my god, I can't believe. And also, more you start to think, I have no control over a lot of this stuff that I worry about so much. And I think yeah. letting that go is such a waste. It is such just the idea, like. When you're like in your twenties, you're always really worried about what other people think of you all the time. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you, oh God, you know that's such a waste of energy because you have no control mm-hmm. over that. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as someone who's very conscious of his own mental health, uh, how have you been managing in the previous lockdown, and how do you see yourself keeping on top of it in this this new second lockdown? You know, I, I was thinking about this, and I think it's important people hear this. Um, you know, because I, I've heard people on the radio with BuzzFeed articles and to top five ways to deal with the anxiety. This is as tough as it gets, guys. This is as tough as it gets. And we need to kind of make some space to allow ourselves to feel overwhelmed, to feel a little bit stressed and, you know, and, and low moods. These are, that, that's a normal, rational reaction to this really, really, really difficult kind of period. And people kind of ask me, like, you know, how are you doing it? I, I'm not doing it. I'm having my good days. I'm having really bad days. I'm having anxious days. Yeah. But that is, the big thing I always feel with, genuinely with our mental health and emotional well-being is we have this wellness industry that keeps airbrushing out the difficult stuff It mm-hmm. keeps telling us that we should only experience the positive stuff mm-hmm. and we should still be doing cartwheels down the street and thinking everything's great and I think positivity is really powerful it is really really even from a neuroscientific point of view it's really powerful but it's not sustainable to be that way all the time yeah. and I think right now we need to make some space for ourselves and go, right, this is overwhelming. Not everybody, because we, we go on Instagram, we go, oh my God, that person's dealing with, dealing with this far better than I am. They're not. Mm-hmm. Nobody is. And I think some people need to hear this. I think they're kind of getting up in the morning. And if you're getting up in the morning, you're getting the kids to school, you're feeding the kids, you're getting through your day, you're watching whatever crap in the evening. That's enough right now. You don't need to learn 
five languages. You don't need to run five marathons. You just need to be right now. And that's that to me is the kind of way I've kind of approached, especially the second lockdown. This is what it is. And if you if you if you fight it, it'll be worse. If you just try and find a way to accept it and move with it, it, it won't be. As, it will be still. It'll still hurt, but it won't hurt as much. Good advice. Yeah, it, the, the acceptance of the issue is uh, is uh, is part of the problem, isn't it? But um, you know, for somebody who's out there who's listening now, Brezzy, and maybe I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm painting an avatar here, uh, right? They've got a couple of young kids at home. They're self-employed. They're running a business. They've just been faced with a second lockdown. Uh, you have all of the stresses of life on top of all that's going on, uh, and and they really are. The, you know, they, they've lost all all hope. You know, they're they're in a really really desperate place. Um, starting from scratch, what should they do? Where do, where do they need to start to, to kind of get on the road to recovery? Well, I think it's baby steps. I think trying to take massive chunks out of this or trying to think too far forward is really overwhelming and distressing. And I think one of the things I think what started, you know, my kind of journey with my mental health where I started to deal with it and I started to approach it with a completely different mindset. And that wasn't easy because that, you know, my mental health, my inability to deal with it took every career I loved from professional sports to pretty much music as well. Everything I wanted to do was dictated by my inability to get control of my mind. Yeah. And I remember years ago reading this book at the start of it, and you might know the book, I know you're studying now, and it's Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. And it's a book, it's just, I don't know what it did to me, but it changed something in my head. And it was just a slight shift. And anyone who doesn't know the book, it's basically... Victor Frankl is a very famous uh, psychologist and psychiatrist, but he was a doc- doctor during World War II, and he was Jewish, and he was put into Auschwitz. And he said, the only way I'm going to survive this is to see hope where it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That was his... So when the guard was beating him, he was looking at the stitching on the guard's top, going, oh my God, that's wonderful stitching. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to find these glimpses of hope in the horror. And the other thing he did was he said to the guard, he said, you can take literally everything from me right now, everything, you can, you can kill my family, you can beat and torture me, but you cannot take the attitude I decide to bring to this situation. That is man and women's last great freedom is our attitude to bring to any situation. And that, to me, is, there's another, I can't remember the Irish quote, but it's really powerful. He says, there's a part of the soul that hasn't been wounded. There's part to everybody that we need to now tap into that. And that's in there in everybody I think everybody has that and it's some people aren't aware they have it but it's there and I think that is the kind of starting point for me with my mental health was to it was to understand that you know if there's a hook of hope on anything hold on to it because that's that's what will get you through and maybe your hook of hope isn't your job isn't your employment it's somebody you love it's someone in your family you know it's your child you know we we you know, that might sound easy, like at the end of the day, I might sound like I'm preaching, but my business is in serious doubt. I have a recording studio. Yeah. You know, I I don't know what's going to happen to it, but it's right now, I I just don't, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, I have enough to be thinking about right now. So I'm putting all my kind of <clears throat> attention on uh, family, on things I do control right now. And I think that is the only way I'll be able to deal with it. I mean, this is all over. I'll debrief and I'll figure out what to do. Okay. But right now, this is survival mode. That's 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 how I see it. Uh, you've written a series of books. You've written one book for for adults, and you've written three books for I think it's three books for kids. Yeah. Um, Magic Moment and Take Five, um, and the, what is it? The Chill. The Chill Skill. Yeah. The Chill Skill. Um, 
in terms of uh, kids understanding their mental health, uh, and I know it's something that people are very aware of now, and also it seems to be, I think, the ideal place to 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 kind of nip it in the bud where before things become habit and people develop, you know, negative mental health patterns uh, to kind of create healthy and durable adults. Uh, do you think the schools are doing enough for mental health or do you think it should become an actual subject? The same way people did CSPE back in the early 2000s. Well, that's the thing. So, you know, people use the word mental health activist to me and I don't really, I'm not really, that's not what I see myself as. And I remember when I looked the issues when we started at the Lust for Life or Charity and I looked at the problems and I said activism for me is not just looking at what doesn't work in society it's looking at what does work and what works well in our country is we have a phenomenal group of teachers and education system we have a world renowned yes it's got problems but every education system does but generally it's an incredible system run by some of the most passionate people I've ever met so I said to Lust for Life there's where we go we don't go, our health system isn't functioning. We don't call our mental health system a system. It's just not functioning. You know, there's a two-year waiting list for children. That is not okay. Mm. So, in, you know, and this is regarding some children who might have had some serious traumatic experiences or, you know, adverse childhood experiences, which can carry through for, 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 for life if you don't address them. But for me, what we did was we started our first primary school program. And I said to the charity Lust for Life, I said, we cannot be throwing stones at the government. We have to bring a solution here. And that's what we did. And we're now kind of advanced pilot stage and research stage with UCD. This will be in every school in Ireland in two years, in primary school. This is an emotional intelligence program. It will go in the curriculum. That is my drive and passion for it. It is much more kind of expansive and focused than just mental health. It is teaching kids the tools to cope with the chaos and to express emotion, to experience emotion. And as I said, we didn't go to the education system and fix it. We went, we'll do it, but you can't. You got to come with us. So we've, you know, the teaching councils, the parents councils. We have to go the long road, uh, but it was the right road to go. So for me, that was a solution based. And in schools, we can keep saying they need to do more. They have enough to be doing. To be fair, and mm. the teachers have enough to be doing. And what I will not listen to anymore is people, you know, turning on teachers or saying, you know, get back to work or any of this stuff. They are, right now, for me, the most important with their healthcare professionals, people in our society. And we need to value them much more because they hold the key to to educating a generation who can destroy, you know, destroy the stigma that destroyed my generation. Because it yeah, did. Yeah. Even my mates are, you know, I love them to bits, but they can't express emotion. They can't talk about emotion. without. They'll talk to you about football and you know, music, mm-hmm. and sometimes I go, do that. we need to talk about more than that. Yeah, and yeah. that's hopefully where it goes, and that's kind of where my passion is, is that's the generation that can change it. Uh, Brezzy, one of the one of the most incredible stats I came across in a, a lecture that I was in recently, uh, in this country, the HSE is spending something in the rings of 400 million on medication and 10 million on counselling. Now, imagine if those numbers were reversed. They never will be, I don't think. But if people had access uh, to counselling to get to the issues that they're going through before they're medicated, I mean, how how much of a massive difference would that make? Well, I think it's important to speak about two things there. You know, we've got to speak about, say, psychiatric care. And at psychiatric level, uh, in many cases, medication is required um, with, you know, you know, you look at people, we often think with mental health, 
there's people with serious psychiatric needs in the country, uh, you know, schizophrenia, bipolar, um, and other issues. Uh, but my issue is when you have a 15-year-old teenage girl or guy going into a GP saying, I'm overwhelmed, I can't sleep, I'm anxious, that GP knows that if they refer that 15-year-old into the system, they'll be waiting two years, generally, yeah. to get help in terms of talk therapy, uh, psychotherapy. So they're kind of in a position where, well, we have to medicate here mm-hmm. because they need to do something. So I don't blame the GPs. I really don't. I, I, I blame the system. that the, the GPs don't have a structured system to send them. For example, my mate, good mate, and he's quite open about it, he has been completely overwhelmed by this pandemic. He's lost his business. And he came to me and he says, what do I do? I said, listen, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say, firstly, you need to go to your GP. Uh, I can align you with brilliant therapists, but first thing you've got to do is go to your GP. So he did. And he came back from his GP and he sent me a picture and it was about four different types of medication. And I said, this man is just traumatized. He just needs help. Yeah. You cannot clinicalize trauma like that all the time. And that annoyed me. But the reality being is I was on antidepressants, on SSRIs for eight to ten years but I was also self-medicating with prescription medication like sleeping pills and that ultimately was causing an awful lot of my problems and, and, and I think it's important to point out here as LKC that we, we talk about the science and the research and the research shows that psychotherapy is just as effective and the problem with psychotherapy ther- it takes longer mm-hmm. it's a longer journey it's far more sustainable because you're getting tools to cope going forward so what happens a lot of people are medicated like myself, and then you come off the medication and you're kind of going, well, I, can just, I still need these tools. I need to be able to, to navigate this world I live in. Yeah. So that's why psychotherapy and good psychology, good psychology is, it's changed my life, and good psychologists, they're professional at this. They're unbelievable at their job. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we don't have enough of them. And if you look at the, the, the new vision for change that the health department put out, there was no mention of psychology. And for those listening, it goes, what's the difference between psychiatry? Psychiatry is kind of the clinical level, generally it's a medical model, and not all the time, but psychology is you know, based like CBT, uh, cognitive-based therapies, different types of therapy, and that's what I did. But yeah, I do think we've got to address this in a different way because what we have in Ireland in terms of our, our system, it's a reactive model. Yeah. So we wait till point of crisis before somebody is completely overwhelmed and then we intervene but what we need is a preventative model we need to stop people getting to that place and we also the two ways that has to happen to our system and to our society keep eroding that stigma keep letting people not internalize their pain allow them express it don't be uncomfortable with other people's pain because that is the worst thing we can do so as individuals what can we all do don't judge anybody that's mm-hmm. the first thing, non-judgment. We, I don't know what anybody's dealing with carrying in any given day. And if you can suspend judgment and somebody comes to you and says, I'm overwhelmed or I'm struggling, take that as the best compliment you'll ever get. They obviously trust you. You're obviously a decent skin. And take that, you know, you don't need to fix anybody, but hold that. You're the emotional scaffolding for that person. And so society has this job to do, but my God, our system has as well. Right now, the other thing, Casey, that this, and lads, this will blow your mind. The HSC, in all our funding for mental health, or in, in ter- all of our health funding, we only spend 6% on mental health. Six. And now we have the government 
running ads about her mental health and they keep talking about it. I goes, you don't get to do that, guys. You've ignored this consecutively with every government. I've been screaming at you for years yeah. that one day we're going to need a system. And the two, the Tanisha and our Taoiseach, were both ministers of health. And the reason we're in the second lockdown isn't because the numbers. It's because we don't have a health system that's able to cope. We can't even get our, you know, our tracing system right. So as people of Ireland who pay decent taxes, high taxes, a wealthy country, we deserve more and we deserve better. And when this is all over, we should be bloody demanding that. Mm-hmm. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I want to ask you a question because obviously you're in the media and uh, you were, you know, you were one of the first people in Ireland to come out and say, you know, uh, this is this is, you know, where I am with my mental health. And you were kind of, you're, at, you were, at, were definitely at the forefront in terms of talking about it publicly and using your platform to talk about it in a positive way. I feel that sometimes that, well, I haven't feel, felt, I've noticed that sometimes that people in the media and people in the entertainment industry flagrantly use mental health as a marketing tool. Yeah, and, this and is I think it's very, I think it's very, very uh, irresponsible. And also, you know, oh, there's a bit of a scandal. You know, how do I get the media off my back? Hey, guys, I'm suffering mental health, and it does seem like it sends out the wrong message because it adds to the stigma. Absolutely. I think first thing to point out is that the first person to actually inspire me to do it was Conor Cusack, Corkman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember hearing him on a radio station. I was driving home. And I had to pull in. I, I was shivering, like, when he was talking. And it was just, it was very acute. It was very kind of, um, if anybody, he then wrote a blog about it. And I kind of went, now, that gave me a huge kind of, right, now it's time to address this properly. So people would always say, you, you were, you know, one of the first, actually, with Connor. Connor that actually gave me that lift to be able to do it. Yeah. But in terms of, it's important, we, we reframe the language around mental health. And... Um, in exactly what you're talking about because anxiety is not an anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. A bad few days is not depression. And I suppose somebody who's diagnosed with panic disorder and general anxiety disorder, it, is, it isn't stress. It is dysfunctional. It's not sleeping. It's not being able to breathe. It is not being able to communicate. It's not being able to do anything. It's so tough. And what I say to people is, if you have anxiety, good, you're a human being. We all have it. We all have a stress response. Sometimes that anxiety gets overwhelming. That's normal. That's a normal thing. It's when it becomes a disorder, when it actually starts impeding on your functioning, on your relationships, on your professional professions. 
then you know you have to deal with it. And it's the same with depression, you know, people who've been diagnosed with clinical depression. It is truly, truly difficult. Mm -hmm. It isn't a bad day. It isn't like when people call it, oh, it's a bit of the blues. It's it's not that. And, and I think we have to be a bit more protective of, you know, in the same way a snotty nose isn't a flu. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the idea. But also I think it's important that we allow space for people to talk about emotional well-being and maybe not use the term mental health. Talk about emotional well-being. If there's people who have influence in society who have a, have a big platform, it's good that they're talking about it, but we have to be a little bit more aware that there is much more needs out there. I think for, for somebody like yourself who's been in this space for seven years, who started the charity, who studied it, it I did all that because it destroyed me, you know, for 15 years. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, you know, like at those stage my hair fell out, you know, it was so physical. Wow. So... To me, I am, I can totally hear what you're saying, but I find in mindfulness especially, we've created what I call mass mindfulness. We've created this kind of, you know, five years ago, the only drink you could buy in a shop was energy drinks to give you the taste to keep up with the world. Now the market has copped on and went, oh God, everyone's stressed. Let's sell them drinks that can de-stress us. And mm -hmm. people are selling us drinks for anxiety. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? I think the market will always do that. We will always commodify something. We commodified fitness in the 90s when, you know, ab machines that said if you use it, you'd have abs if you use it for five minutes a day. That's still in my dad's shed. I never got abs. <laughs> we all have those. <laughs> you know, and those infomercials. We're doing the same with kind of mindfulness and emotional well-being. And I can see it in the wellness space. And it really kills me because if you truly value wellness, you need to value the bad stuff too. Mm -hmm. You need to you need to tell people we can't airbrush out the bad stuff. That stuff is just as much important to being human as the positive stuff. Mm -hmm. And the wellness industry doesn't want to address that. And when I'm asked to do stuff sometimes, it's like, don't say any of the bad stuff. Just give us really inspiring stuff. I said, but that's not the human condition. Yeah, yeah. And and that to me is you know, and because you're you're gonna on your on your psychotherapy journey, you're gonna you're going to see stuff and hear stuff that's difficult but that's part of the job that's all part of it yeah, yeah. you know that's the reality life is not a straight line brilliant stuff Brezzy thank you so much for the chat I hope a lot of people out there were listening to it and uh, you're, you're in a different place than you were 20 minutes ago yeah. uh, knowing that there's a lot of help out there there's a lot of things you can do uh, the Where Is My Mind podcast recently won gold at the British Podcast Awards well done on all the great work that you're doing the other side of Brezzy's life is picking up a guitar and thrashing out the blizzards are still alive and well they have a new single this is it happy birthday Brezzy Cheers, Brezzy. Thanks, guys. Thanks so Thank much you, for talking to us. Take care of yourself. Thanks. Let's see what we got coming in here. Loads of your comments. Oh my God, go Brezzy. One of the best radio interviews I've heard in months. Amazing points he's making. We need more people like him talking about this. Uh, really enjoyed that, lads. It made me feel much, much better. Uh, much better than I was 20 minutes ago is, uh, is another tweet into us this morning. Um, the book he was talking about, Ross, actually. Yeah. And uh, I have it here in my little Audible folder. Victor E. Frankel, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, it is the story of his experience in the concentration camps and uh, how he held on uh, managed to survive and wrote this incredible book but uh, that is something uh, for you to dig into as well okay absolutely uh, there is a burst water pipe um, that is uh, let me just find where that is that's gone now oh yeah uh, water pipe is burst at St Mary's Road uh, making driving difficult slow down and be ready for the leak okay hey lads no wonder people are saying there's a lot of people travelling to work I just looked at the level 5 essential services list really is ridiculous uh, sure bar retail everyone is still at work by ridiculous I mean actually pointless should have stayed at level 3 this is what level 5 looks like according to Alan who's been out to us and Kay called into the show she wanted to ask Brezzy does, she, does he think that enough 
enough schools uh, are doing enough exercise with the kids to help with their mental health. I think he covered that, yeah. uh, saying that they're you know he's he's trying to overhaul how they approach mental health and how it affects you know how everything else in your life affects it. So uh, yeah, it was a, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and and you know the the oldest trick in the book uh, when it comes to minding your mental health is is get out there, get out there and, and get active. Yeah. You know, go for walks. Easy to say At when times, you don't have depression. Sometimes yeah, getting yeah. off the couch can be a struggle if you if you're suffering from depression. So, Absolutely, but yeah. uh, you know, try and get a bit of exercise into your routine. It'll yeah. really help you. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now: oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six on Court's ninety six FM twenty five to eleven. Good morning. This is The Opinion Line on Court's ninety six FM. It's Casey and Ross in for a PJ Coogan who is on a well-deserved break. Yes. Don't know what he's up to, but he'll, he'll be gallivanting around Cork. He won't go too far. Well, gallivant within a 4.9 kilometre radius. Yeah, that is it. <laughs> I'm walking around the socking. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> I'm a rebel, but I'm still within the limits. <laughs> Listen, thanks for all your lovely comments coming in about Brezzy this morning. Um, I hope that helped out a lot of people out there. Uh, let's switch ever so slightly to another fantastic guest that we got lined mm-hmm. up of, on the show this morning. Uh, James is a Cork man. He's a former heroin addict who was living on the streets of Cork for years, but this is a story I think everybody needs to hear. He turned his life around and he's now working with Cork Education and the Training Board Youth Services. Uh, he's the host of the excellent Two Naughties podcast. Lovely. And he's doing it with his buddy Timmy Long. Um, himself, Timmy, from the north side of the Cork City. And uh, Timmy lived uh, a chaotic life of addiction and crime and prison, but managed to get sober in 2011. And uh, together, collectively, the lads have a lot to say and a lot to offer people. And uh, James is on the line. Great to finally talk to you, James. How are you? Morning. Morning, lads. Thanks for the lovely introduction. Yeah, well, listen, you've you've worked hard to, to earn that introduction. I mean, you just facts. Yeah, yeah, we're just we're just dating the facts, I suppose. Um, let's let's go back to the beginning for you, James. Um, how did how did you end up addicted to something like heroin? Where were you in life uh, that uh, that sent you in that general direction? Uh, I think as a child, I was as a teen anyway. Um, I didn't really get on too well in secondary school. And I got into a lot of trouble in school and um, I just became low on confidence and low on self-esteem and I became, you know, in your teens, um, I became kind of, I had a very negative self-image, you know, poor self-image. And, you know, I suppose that there's a lot of teens experiment when you're 15, 16, alcohol or weed or whatever. Um, and that's kind of normal. When I started experimenting, then it got out of hand because I was using it to give me what I was lacking inside, which was the confidence and the self-esteem. So I used chemicals and substances then from then on. It didn't matter what it was, really. Sometimes it was alcohol, sometimes it was drugs. You know? mm. So that was what it was, self-medication, if you will. So before we move on from here to, to, to anywhere further down the timeline, when you were yeah. saying that in school you felt that you were kind of slipping between the cracks and you didn't get on very well in school, do you feel that there was anything that could have been done differently when you were in school that might be even being done now for, for young teenagers that might have actually kept you more engaged and less inclined to lose your self-confidence? Yeah, I think there, was, there, there is at the moment in terms of uh, in schools now we have school completion programs mm-hmm. where you have an, an officer would be assigned to a child that's fallen just slipping behind. You have a homeschool liaison officers which we didn't have back then either, you know, so um, and t- teachers are more aware of, you know, uh, of, of like that the school could be a holistic environment rather than just curriculum based, mm-hmm. you know, so you would hope I know, I know that there is better support there today so I, I'd have more hope um, for children today. 
Yeah. How soon uh, did the addiction take hold in terms of the heroin? Because there's, you know, a lot of people and kind of what people would assume is that it's very aggressive and it's instantaneous. Uh, yeah, what was your experience with it? Um, that's probably correct enough. I, we smoked it for a while because, you know, the idea I had of heroin in my head was, you know, injecting mm-hmm. street drug use and, you know, I didn't want to do any of that. Um, afraid of needles, I was mad to think about it. Yeah. So we smoked it for a while and we thought it was a safe way to do it. And then one day we didn't have any and you get severe withdrawals from opiates when you just stop suddenly. So then once I knew then I was physically dependent on that, you know. Yeah. So then we always looked to get the drugs, I suppose after a while then. It was inevitable we started using needles as well, you know. And once you start using needles then you your parents deteriorate and you start to become more chaotic and you need more drugs, you mm-hmm. need more money, you do more mad stuff. Yeah. And um overdoses then can become frequent as well. What does it feel like when you when you take heroin? What happens to you? It's hard to describe because you're not supposed to feel something like that in this world. So there's no earthly words to describe it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the best feeling that you'll ever, ever experience ever. Bear none. It's just a, like when you're feeling low, depressed, um, isolated, lonely, all these negative emotions, and you're feeling all them, and then you you use that stuff, then it just comforts everything. Like that's all emotional pain, and heroin works by attaching onto the pain receptors in the brain. The pain receptors in your brain is for physical and emotional pain. So when you when you when you have emotional pain like that, and you use heroin, it just blocks all that emotional pain. And then when you don't have it, it comes, the emotional pain comes back stronger and stronger. So then you want to use more and more. And as I said, it's just the self-medication. Now, you know, saying that it's a, a sense of euphoria and the feeling of actually taking it, the, the flip side of that coin, as most people, as everybody is aware of, yeah. is the fact that it, it, it takes away essentially your soul. It, it destroys your life. It makes you a husk of who you, you were and it takes yeah. away all your humanity, basically. And, and I know people are vilified and, and, you know, people are often called, you know, junkies and, and all that kind of stuff. And there's a very kind of vilification of people who are addicted to a substance. Mm-hmm. But it has hold of you and, and it's ruining your life kind of from the inside in and it's hard yeah. to escape it. Yeah, I, like I've grown up with fellas and I've been in jobs with fellas and I've been in prison with fellas very proud men, mm. very strong men, fellas that would be respected. And you'd see them a couple of years later and they're begging on the streets, shamed, you know. And yeah. it's like, how, how, it's just, you just lose every bit of dignity and self-respect you've ever had. It's, it's mad what it does, Sha. It's just, it's just a very, it's a very destructive drug. You go to the lowest place you could possibly go where you're on the street, half unconscious, and you've just shot up and... You're on the steps where exactly in Cork, James, when this happened? Do you know, where, uh, do you know Blarney Street? Halfway up Blarney Street, there's a pub called the High House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's kind of steps going down the side of the High House that brings you onto Sunday as well. So you're, you're, you're at that. Is, is that when you realise that this is it? Uh, I, I've been found by somebody. I've woken up somewhere that, you know, well, I wasn't half an hour ago. Well, after, after that, well, somebody phoned me there and rang the guards, the paramedics. They arrived. Um, so I survived that one, I say. And then I met the guards a couple of days later yeah. um, in Nakanahini. And they says, look, James, you're at a new law now. Like, you're lucky somebody found you because you would have been found dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we know you a long time, but this is as bad as you've ever been. So, you know, 
I had to take note of that because my relationship with girls up until then wasn't the one of compassion and kindness, let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to ignore something then, you know, because it goes against your perception of what a girl is, which was at the time wasn't my friend and it wasn't for me to help me out to be trusted, you know. So after that instance, I, I just made a phone call and um, it took me six months though to get into the treatment after the phone calls, you know. So there was a lot of chaos waiting to get to bed. But I'm very lucky that I survived all that. And once I got my chance, then I just grabbed it by hands. A lot of people would have, you know, they would have um, got on the wagon and they would have they would have gone through a certain amount of, you know, detoxing or they would have, you know, they would have had the withdrawals and they would have come out the other end and then relapsed as well. How do you maintain uh, in, in, time, in terms of, you know, how you view yourself and how you view what you've went through and keep yourself on that side of the fence? You make a very good point there. I've been in treatment with a lot of people that done the detox. Like, I was, I was in the detox for eight weeks, detoxing from methadone and benzodiazepines. I knew for a fact if I left the detox after I got, after I got detoxed, I knew I was going back to drugs because my problem was never the drug problem, and that may sound silly. My problem was an emotional problem, a self-regulation problem, a coping skills problem, and I had all these underlying issues that I needed to address. And the people that stick out the treatment after the detox and do the, the, the two months, the four months, the six months or the 12 months treatment in terms of therapy, group work, 12 steps, all these things, um, aftercare, meetings. I did all these things, you know, and slowly but surely I, I gained new coping skills and I was able to deal with the issues, the underlying issues. And once I kind of done all that, then I just... Drugs don't become appealing anymore then because after some time you build up a, a nice life for yourself and you get an education, you get a nice job and you get married and you have a nice car and next all of us, you know, then you don't want drugs. You know, I've, I've been around, there's still drugs in my area. I've worked in homeless services where there was a lot of drugs. They never appealed to me because... I was after dealing with underlying issues and I didn't need to self-medicate anymore. It's an incredible amount of self-awareness to have, especially yeah. when you're battling something so aggressive and, and, and so kind of, uh, you know, all-encompassing. But um, in in terms of your co-host of the podcast then as well, Timmy, uh, would Timmy have had the same, because obviously one glove doesn't fit all, uh, would Timmy have had the same background or the same kind of root causes or did he, you know, not uh, not obviously speak for him or, but but yeah. did, did you find that you have a commonality in, in that respect? The commonalities between me and Timmy are he only lived a few doors away from me and I kind of grew up in his house because I was friends with his two younger brothers. Mm -hmm. Timmy's a few years older than me. I, I always like to remind him of that. <laughs> but uh, but it, it, the fact is that we had very different stories at the same time. Timmy was more... Timmy's, as I said, he is of an older vintage, so they would have been older. They would have missed the heroin. When mm -hmm. the heroin came in, they would have been growing up and working with families and stuff. But Timmy was into cocaine and tablets and but Timmy was always a very skilled tradesman and working but he'd have kind of outbreaks of addiction let's say that would lead into chaos mm -hmm. whereas I, I never really worked you know or had stable relationships or any any of that you know I was Timmy let's say would have drank in pubs I would have drank down lanes Timmy yeah. would have used coke in Prague but I would have used heroin down St. Anne's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when you when you put it yeah. like that, um, James, how do you feel about the the current situation? Because I know the the problem in Cork is getting worse, and the evidence of that is just walking around the city. Yeah, 
Um, I mean, there, there are parts of Cork where you, you can just see users and you can see addicts. And again, on I, Patrick Street, I, everywhere. Yeah. And I really despise the term junkie because they're not mm-hmm. junkies, they're sick people. Yeah. They're very, very sick people that need help. Um, getting back to the. The, the availability in Cork, that's that's still a huge problem. But how do you feel now, after coming out of the other side of addiction and hitting rock bottom to where you are now, what do you think is the, the approach with narcotics and drugs in general? What do you believe? Should they be legalised and controlled? Or is there absolutely no agenda for that whatsoever? Uh, well, I don't think there's an agenda for us, but I personally believe that it can be legalised and controlled especially at the moment, like in, in Cork, you, it's not that we have a growing drug problem. We have a consistent drug problem. It's just as heroin came into the city, that drug problem has become more visible because people find it hard to maintain homes, families and jobs while on heroin. So then they just go to the streets. But these, you know, we have a drug problem in Cork for a long time. It's just a lot more visible now because them drug users, they gravitate to the city centres because that's where the money is to be made through begging and stealing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that we have a huge growing drug problem. I just think it's a more visible one as more people go on heroin. Um, Outside of that then, there's countries, like in England, they've used um, a policy for years, uh, heroin-assisted treatment. They use it in Canada as well. If you have a chronic drug user, heroin addict, opiate addict, that has been on heroin for a very long time and all other methods of treatment have not worked. The doctor prescribes them um, pharmacy-grade heroin and everything is supervised. That person then, there's no risk of overdose or infection or spreading diseases. They're not going to be thieving to get the money. They can maintain a normal life. They can work and be productive members of society. Now, it's controversial, but we have to remember that Drugs weren't always legal, and it's a very recent, relatively recent in our history as a society, you know, um, and I think we should go back and, like, a lot of the harms caused by drugs is actually our response to them rather than the drug itself. Yeah, and I mean, you know, a lot of drugs are, they're seen differently as well. So, for example, you know, uh, prescribed medication and opiates would be seen as a lot more cleaner and then things like cocaine and, and heroin would be seen as dirty drugs. But they have the same effect and people can be held by them in the same sense. But when you said about the assisted... Um, Heroin-assisted cons- treatment. Yeah, and, and, and it's yeah. like supervised consumption. Uh, the, the, yeah. Like in Switzerland, like the, the, uh, the AIDS uh, among drug addicts has steadily declined. Deaths due to misuse have steadily declined. And what it is, is it's not... You're not, we're not saying it's okay, everybody can just do it now. It's a case of, can people do it safely until they actually do what you did, which was find what the root cause was and start mm. to fix yourself and not end up dead on the street? Exactly. And like, I can't be used as a measurement of success or achievement for people in recovery because what I went through and what somebody else goes through is something totally different. Yeah. And maybe somebody's um, recovery could be as much as they're able to just maintain on methadone mm-hmm. and they're able to look after their kids and look after their families and that's brilliant for them. It's better than being strung out on the streets. Um, you know, mm-hmm. education and you know, PhDs and all these things are great, but that's not where we should be aiming. You just want to become happy and kind of get out of the chaos and if that means that you have to take some sort of medication or you have to you know it's, everybody is different you know and it's just about finding the place where you're content and happy yeah 
James, you're a phenomenal fella. Legend. You, you, you really are. I mean, you know, for, for you to go through what you did, for you to achieve what you have achieved, I mean, coming out, bachelor's degree in youth community work, master's degree in criminology, um, happy family. You're, you're the massive light at the end of the tunnel. And the fact that you, you know, regularly do things like this, talk about it on air, and you've got your Two Naris podcast, which is up and running. Um, yeah. you, you just need to be commended. You, you need to be given the freedom well, yeah. of the city in every level. Um, thank you. Thank you so much again for talking yeah, to us. James, I find it hard to get off cinnamon buns. like, <laughs> <laughs> So I can't even begin to imagine. Uh, absolute pleasure yeah. talking to you. Thanks no, so much, to, James. Th- thanks Cheers. for having me on, lads. God bless. Bye-bye. Take care of yourself. Um, another amazing conversation with James Leonard here this morning mm-hmm. on The Opinion Line. You're listening to Cork's 96FM. Comments 083 396 96 This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996 On Cork's 96FM. 5 to 11 is the time. Casey and Ross in for PJ Coogan this morning. This is the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Now with weddings uh, already curtailed massively under the new restrictions, couples are having to get their heads around the all new rules. Now in ordinary times, Ross, hair and yeah. makeup would be a huge part of any wedding. Absolutely. One of the most important, far more important than a DJ in a band. More important than the groom. (laughs) (laughs) But the new restrictions appear to be causing some confusion. Ashling Kelleher is a freelance stylist. Ashling, what's your interpretation of the new rules? What's going on? Casey, hi. How are you? Um, We actually don't know. Um, So, Tuesday or Wednesday, we were told that we wore a essential service for brides and that we could travel and provide a hair or um, makeup service. And then of 6.30 last night, um, we were told that we aren't essential for a bride and we can't travel and we can't fulfil any bridal service service to any bride for the next, next six weeks. And... I think the wedding industry is extremely on its knees since March, but now we are just wow, like lost, utterly and completely lost. You currently have bookings in place for next weekend, so what's going to happen with those bookings? Yeah, what's happening in those? So, um, yeah, I actually don't don't have words to actually describe still, like at the moment... We can't provo- we can't do these professional services um, because Board Foyta have come out saying that bridal hair and makeup isn't necessary for brides, which is disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. There's no other way that I can put it. You, correctly. you, you you're not getting any clarity on this because it feels None? like it's just it's just completely confusing for you. And it's not confusing. not to not to mention they, they are actually the panic of a bride is now faced with going Absolutely. into their wedding day. Absolutely, because a lot of brides would would have us suppliers booked for two, if not three years in advance. We as professional suppliers. We build up such a strong bond with like these brides and you know, we're on the journey too. But um yeah, so like on Tuesday or Wednesday when we were told that we could travel, we got onto all of our brides and we were like, Yay, we can travel and then yes then yesterday evening we are told that we can't. Okay. So 
it's just it's all over the place hopefully we can yeah hopefully we can try and clear this up because uh, you know you know brides have already made enough compromises with their weddings in current restrictions so hopefully hopefully we clear it up and uh, and hopefully we can get some kind of clarification for you on the line yeah we're Uh, we're gonna we're gonna dig into this uh, Ashleen and see what we can if we can get any government information or any 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 updates and uh, really really need like we we just need it yeah all right listen thanks for the call stay positive chin up see ya take care bye bye The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM what a beautiful morning yeah savage you're on the opinion line. This is Casey. There's Ross. Hello, now. Uh, taking care of business this morning as PJ takes himself a well-deserved break. Your heart rate is what? 160. It's after going on to 120 now. You had a heart rate of 160 from doing what? Uh, I went, went downstairs, went up to check on my car and yeah. just came back up the stairs. I think I'm on the way out. Did you sprint? I didn't. I kind of lightly jogged. Okay. I think I'm on the way out. I think being on the opinion line has given me the heart rate of an 82-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it happens. Loads of lovely comments coming into the opinion line this morning. 083 396 96 96. That is the number. Uh, load of you absolutely loving James Leonard's chat. Thank you so much to him. A credit to Ard Cullen. He is. Well done, James, from, from a listener. And uh, with James Leonard, wow, what a guy. It just goes to show that if you give people a chance, help, support and kindness, anything can be achieved. People need to see addicts as people and not just a problem. Uh, it was a fantastic interview. He's a fantastic man. Yeah. Uh, another comment in. Uh, loads as well on Brezzy. Uh, Shane on Twitter says, brilliant chat with Brezzy about mental health and minding yourself was definitely needed today, especially on day one of lockdown. Yeah. Someone else says it should be played for the next six weeks. Uh, the, the wise words of, uh, of Brezzy and uh, just wanted to thank Brezzy for saying clinical depression is not just a bad day I suffer from severe clinical depression and it's like a computer virus in your brain that affects everything great to hear someone acknowledge that so uh, yeah so a lot of people uh, hitting, hitting home with them yeah, if you missed the interview by the way you can listen later on in the podcast the Opinion Line podcast will be up for you to download for free and you can listen through the 96FM app and can I remind you by the way we're giving away a load of cash yeah uh, we are. To, to celebrate the hit mix one year online playing fresh new music it's one of our other services on the app what we want to do is to celebrate we're giving away 500 euro to one loyal listener so for your chance to win if you're on the gram on Instagram and you haven't uh, clicked Vodafone uh, clicked, sorry clicked uh, follow Vodafone <laughs> thanks for, for throwing me with your <laughs> gesture there <laughs> if you haven't clicked follow on our Instagram page tag your mates and share in your Insta stories using the hashtag hitmixmoney that's all you got to do mm-hmm. tag your mates share on your Insta stories and use the hashtag hitmixmoney we'll be keeping an eye on that one of you is going to win, win uh, 500 quid uh, with thanks to Cork's 96FM and uh, the hitmix the home of non-stop fresh new music listen on your phone smart speaker or listen to uh, us on 96fm.ie. Right, back to business. Now, when the first lockdown was in place, there was an army of volunteers, Ross, swung into action uh, right across Cork. The Mm. Community Call is what it's known, and it's all volunteers and organisations getting together to support local communities and the most vulnerable uh, with things like deliveries of groceries, meals on wheels, or transport to an appointment. And over the coming weeks, those services are going to be called upon again. We know this. It's going to be incredibly busy for them. So let's speak to some of those who have helped out previously. Sharon Mullins is on the line. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Casey and Ross. How are you? We're good. We're doing okay. All all the better for talking to you now, Sharon. (laughs) Um, The last time they did a delivery service, uh, even if they couldn't help, they referred to to clients of organisations. Listen, tell us a little bit about, about you and about what you do and how you're helping people out right now. 
Um, well, I suppose um, I'm part of the team at Feed Cork. Uh, Feed Cork is, we're actually based on the very end of Oliver Plunkett Street. And um, we're a food bank. We've actually been here since, uh, three years since last May. Um, and we're run solely by volunteers. I think they started with five baskets and ended up, I mean, through the lockdown, we would have been delivering over 300 baskets. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's a different, you know, there are lots of people involved in the Cork Community Response. Like, you know, um, Katrina Toomey is involved with Penny Jenner's and Vincent DePaul. So we're all, I suppose, doing our own little thing and just not, trying not to overlap mm-hmm. with each other, you know. So I suppose we've learned a lot from the last lockdown. You know, we did a lot of the deliveries, but there were a lot of people still coming out. So this time we'll keep our deliveries to just a very small number for people who are cocooning. They're, yeah. the, they're the people we deliver to, you because, know, um, like we're we, we're run as I say mainly well it's all volunteers, but we're, what they did here in in Cork Church where we're based is we had there was a lot of offices in one section of the building and they actually took the offices out to give us more room so they're like three different bubbles that we can go in. Okay. You know yeah. so um, you know I suppose it, the the main thing is like you know we're so lucky in Cork really that people are so. They, they support us really well. You know, we're supported by Aldi, Little Tesco and Marks and Spencers and we have a team of volunteers that are so committed. We're just sorry that we can't have all the volunteers who want to come in, in here. You know, we, we just, we've just kept it to a really small, tight number. Yeah. Just for safety, obviously, you know. Now, I would assume that after uh, the first lockdown, I assume that there was an increase in people who were using the services of the likes of Penny Dinners and St. Vincent de Paul. Do you yeah. think that there's going to be another surge of it again with this lockdown, even though it's slightly less stringent than the first? Well, I, I do, because I suppose what I saw the last time myself is, you know, we everything here is by appointments. You can't walk, you can't just walk up to the door, you know what I mean? Or we have a drive to on a Thursday, which is going on as I speak now, but we give, people, we give everyone um, a time just to drive up and the guys put the stuff only in the boot, you know, there's there's no interaction whatsoever, you know, just a big wave. But, um, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the surprising thing is people that you think will never use a food bank, you know, I'm glad that they're calling us now and we just make them feel as welcome as possible because, you know, that could be me next week, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just don't know what's around the corner and I just think the uncertainty of what lies ahead for people, you know, um people should just reach out because there are so many willing to support you, you know. They and really are. Sharon, there should, there should be no shame around this either if people are in a situation that they need to avail of, of food banks and services. And I know that's, that's probably a big problem for a lot of people. I can't be seen availing of this or I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say to yeah. those people? Well, you know something, I'll give you an example. I had someone from outside the city that contacted me yesterday or two days ago. She came in on Wednesday um, and when she came on Wednesday... Luckily, she had her mask up and her hat on and everything. And I just asked her what her name was. And the minute she gave me her name, she knew, uh, you know, we had spoken the night before over the phone. Her eyes were filled, like, you know. She was saying, I'm absolutely mortified. And, uh, you know, what could I say? I just said... Sorry, I, lo- I lost you there for a second, Sharon. I said, you know, she was absolutely mortified. She had her... She had uh, tears in her eyes. And I just said to her, look, you know, we're all in it together. You know, the famous quote... We're all in this together, but we are. We just want to support each other. Absolutely. I mean, and support the- anybody else who wants to reach out to us. And the people that we're trying to reach are the people who are in homes, like with mortgages, high rent, all that. Mm-hmm. They're the people we want to reach because they are the people who are least likely to put their hand out. 
And the thing that we've come, we've seen today, I think, from talking to Brezzy, from talking to, to James Leonard, from talking to yourself as well, is that people feel and they're, they're afraid of being seen as other. So yeah. whether it's homeless, whether it's struggling financially, whether it's mental health or whether it's drug addiction, it's it's the feeling of you're, you feel segregated by your by your situation. And mm-hmm. it's not because anyone can find themselves in any of those situations and those yeah. that you think aren't quite possibly could be behind closed doors. So you just don't know. So everyone is either a couple of decisions or a couple of scenarios away from being in any of those situations. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just think the uncertainty with this, you know, I mean, as I say, there was, some, there was someone else that came into us, like herself and her husband, both in hospitality. You know, where do you go from there? They just mm-hmm. bought a new house. Like, I just feel so sorry for the people who are absolutely pinned to their collar and just won't contact anybody. You know, even the drive through here is done so discreetly. Yeah. You know, if what we say to them is, look, if you can get someone to drive in, just pull up outside the door, just give me your name, we'll put the stuff in the boot and we'll see you next week. And we do follow up kind of like, you know, we would text people just to see if they are coming in because as I say, everything is by appointment. You know, we, we just keep it so, so tight, I suppose, because, you know, I'm volunteer coordinator here and I feel like everybody's mother and trying to, I want to mind, mind the volunteers as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, so, me, let me bring in Mel McCarthy as well who's on the line. Mel, are you there? I'm there, good morning. Morning, Mel. Another legend. Well done, Mel. Tell us, uh, tell us what you did during the last lo- lockdown to, to kind of help out in the community. Um, well, we started off by singing online and everybody came together and we raised over 4,000 euro for the Mercy Hospital by singing, I think it was Mother's Day, we'd done it. So that was our first kind of venture. And then after that, we started collecting food to bring up to Vincent for penny dinners. So everybody volunteered something and we'd collect it from them. And then they had little bingo nights and they'd give us the money and we'd go do a shop and maybe put some of our own money towards it, me and my friends Lisa and Amanda. And um, we'd just wrap them up to Vincent's and Penny Dinners and then we'd start, you know, singing songs for them because they'd done nearly 12-hour shifts some days. So we'd mm-hmm. sing a song or two up there for them. And we ended up singing in, in a home as well there um, once or twice with the guy Tommy that helps out on Penny Dinners. So we just try to keep people entertained, keep the spirits up and, you know, donate as much food as we can. And, you know, you could see Katrina Toomey and all the gang up there. They were just wrecked tired from it all. They'd done so much work. What, what does it mean to the people you helped out, do you think? I mean, you, you must get a lovely, warm feeling from doing something so nice for, for people that really need your help. I think it, it helped me as well because I have three kids and, you know, some days you can be lonely and you'd be looking for something to do when they go see daddy, you know. Yeah. So I wanted to help out where I could. So it started off just for myself to sing online because I missed the singing. And then after that, I could see that they were crying out for food. So people were, like, sending in messages. I have this in the cupboard there for ages. Can we donate? You know, people just had stuff in their cupboards when they didn't have money and that wanted to give, you know, to penny dinners. So... It did help them out, and you could see the stress they were under. And when we went up and sang a song or two, we just, you know, just to cheer them up and just to go to the homes to help the people that couldn't even have visitors. And we, we were all masked up in the whole lot, but we were out in the garden, and we'd sing a few songs for them, and just to see them all happy. It was just beautiful. You need a bit of spirit to keep them all going as well. There's a lot of good stuff going on out there in Cork. For all the doom and gloom, people like you, Mel, and uh, good people like you, Sharon, are doing great stuff. Ladies, thank you so much to both of you for your, for your great work. All right, thank you. Great Thanks. 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 Thanks a million. <laughs> we haven't burned the place down yet, but we're no, working no, on it. I couldn't believe that you were in today instead of PJ. How did they swing that? <laughs> a lot of begging. <laughs> uh, take care of yourself, <laughs> ladies. Thank you very much. Uh, those numbers, should you need uh, to get in contact with community calls, um, it's 1800 222. 
226. Okay, so for Cork City, the number is 1800 222 226. And also you can email COVID support at corkcity.ie. I'll give you the number again 1800 222 226. And uh, I think there's a Cork County number as well uh, 1800 805 819. So the Cork County number 1800 805 819. And COVID support at corkcoco.ie is the email. Just going to read out a quick text in relation to James Leonard. Hi, can't come on here for obvious reasons. Sitting in my car crying after listening to James. My daughter has gone down this road the last two years and is only 18. Uh, this obviously was in relation to the conversation about addiction and, and heroin. Yeah. Uh, I have tried everything. Great to hear a success story. All I can say there is uh, is, is just you've seen the, the you know the other side of someone coming through it and mm-hmm. uh, and yeah our thoughts are with you, you and your daughter and the rest of your family as well because uh, it's uh, it's not easy. It's the toughest thing for anybody who is a parent or a friend of an addict. Yeah, uh, because the thing that I've heard so many times uh, when when dealing and trying to help addicts is you you're not dealing with the person you're dealing with the drug. You're, Absolutely, de- you're yeah. dealing with, you know, the, the often the, the person, demon of, of the, the demon of the drug, and that's that's who you're trying to tap into. That's who you're trying to to deal with. And often, yeah. a lot of people are also feeling guilty, yeah, because there's that old adage that you'll always hear people saying, uh, "Is I blame the parents," yeah, and yeah, that yeah. is one of the stupidest, most ignorant, and insensitive things that someone can say. Because as we said, one glove doesn't fit all. There are a myriad of different different reasons, yeah. and the parents are there to trying to support. So anyone that has that attitude, it's archaic, it's out of date, and you're wrong. Okay. 1850-715-996 is the number. Uh, if you're a fan of Dermot Bannon and mm. all things renovation TV-wise, uh, Dermot's going to be on the show with us tomorrow morning. He is. Looking forward to having a chat with him. And uh, there's loads more great stuff coming up between now and uh, 12 o'clock this morning. Do you know what I'm a little bit disconcerted with? What's that? I haven't called anyone an idiot yet. No, you're, 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 you're kind of gliding into it now, are you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who's on the line? Well, we've no one to call an idiot. No, we've, no. They, they, everyone's been uh, everyone's been level-headed. And, yeah, and we're nice all and holding together. But this lady is ready to let some steam off. Good morning, Nicole. Oh, Nicole, you idiot! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nicole O'Flynn, what's going on in your area? You are a resident living near Bandoff Bandoff Cross, uh, just on the old Yall Road. Mm-hmm. And what have you been calling for for a long time? Hi lads, how are you? Very well, good. Same this morning, traveling to work without you in my ear. I must say, um, you're great. No, just wanted to to highlight really just um, an issue, a petition that we gathered the residents within the area of the Old Yard Road and Bandoff area, along with the Cara Junior School who gathered their own petitions. Just looking for a pedestrian crossing satellite along that road. It's just, it's an an accident or a fatality waiting to happen. So there's nowhere for the kids to cross there? No, bar bar them going all the way down to the Tinker's, what we call Tinker's Cross, which is the junction at the very end. Um, no, I did ring the principal of the school this morning, and obviously she's in, she's too busy to come online. But I did say, look, did you want me to mention anything? And she just said how the safety road safety awareness for their children is part of their teaching, and she said it's an impossible task that they have to try and undertake on that road. So remind me and what you're talking about in terms of ge- geography here. Are you talking about by Smiths? No. By Smith. No. What planet uh, are you on? No. Bonnard, I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, where are you? No, we'd say, um, you know, um, the Amber Garage in Mayfield, the Aldi in Mayfield. Oh, I gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah, Okay, yeah. okay. So then after that, there's Ashford Heights and City View News, which is our estate, okay. which people mistake that for Aldi because they'd often indicate there and carry on to Aldi at high speed. That's mm-hmm. another frustration. But anyway, and then after that, then you have the junction swinging down to Bandoff Road and then the one on the right would be Lothamore. 
So it's a busy spot. And then obviously in Bandoff as well, you have several estates, new estates, they're building more. It's it's becoming more and more, I suppose, populated. So we're just looking for something because many schools also drop off at that junction of Bandoff, including my son's school, yes. And then there's the new in school in Glanmire. But it's, I think since they put in the traffic lights, in the Dunkettle roundabout. You know the 400 traffic lights they put on down there? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Can we yeah, have one so of them, please? I think I counted 402 the last day, but anyway, yeah. I know there's a lot. How many times um, you go around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, um, it's like a Christmas put, tree. Yeah, since mm. they put them in there, I'm noticing more and more articulated trucks coming up the Glanmire Road. Now, how in the name of God they get up the hill is beyond me, coming along the Barn Road, coming along towards our area. Like, I mean, it's that, 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 that's a narrow hill. Yeah. But like, and they're coming along at high speed. Plus, there's people coming along at high speed. And if someone comes along to that junction and they see heading towards the Amber Garage, listen, that many cars, it's like a race course. This speed is just ridiculous. Yeah. And, and our, it's our becoming... Are kids taking risks crossing the road where they shouldn't absolutely. be because of it? Yeah. Absolutely. That's the problem. I see them. And I'm not on about kids. I'm on about teenagers. Everybody. Older kids. Yeah. I've seen adults. Um, and I know people would say, oh, she looks like they'll check one lane. And in the evening time, the sun is blinding on that road. If you're heading towards Mayfield, it's just, and to be fair now, like we, we kind of went about it and what the go- Ted Tynan is our go-to. He's an absolutely outstanding man. He is not given enough credit for all that he does for Mayfield. Um, he has brought it to the attention of the City Council because yeah. now we are within the City Council um, caption where we weren't, we were always County Council, that area. And what I think was told long ago was that the minute that area become, became under the city, city council umbrella, oh, it would, be, it would be taken care of. But it hasn't. Now, Ted brought it to the council's for us, and um, what they said, of course, is funding. There's no money. There's no funding. The usual story. But my argument is, and my, the crux of this for me is that, I'm reading here the other day that the council are now installing 43 new bicycle racks within the city. Mm-hmm. Do we yeah. need them? Realistically, and then another 35 by the end of the year, they're spending up to 2 million upgrading bicycle lanes. Don't get me wrong. Cycle lanes are important, I suppose. They are. Absolutely, you know. they are. And people want that. I mean, they're there. I mean, what upgrade? I, I mean, I, I, the ones, the bicycle lanes I pass coming from, I work in Glasheen, coming yeah. from Matrix Glasheen. I mean, I think they're, they're fit for purpose. But anyway, like, I mean, this is all under now when I read it. It's under the reimagining of Cork City's project. Yeah. Now, that heading alone would probably cost what it would cost to put up a set of lights, what it cost them to get a marketing club. I don't know, maybe. But I'm just saying that. Two million to be spent on bicycle lanes and more bike racks when we're looking for simply a set of lights. That's it, yeah. And maybe, maybe a double set of lights at the actual junction of Bandoff, whatever they would deem suitable. And it's basically for, for people's safety, safety of, of the Absolutely. citizens of Cork. Well listen, what we're going to do is you've put it out there and often yes. with this show when people come on and they give out, a miracle yes. can happen and yeah, things, a, pressure can, uh, a little it's bit of pressure can kick off. So, thank you very much. Will you stay in touch with us and let us know how it goes? I will of course, lads. Thank You're you a star. Nice Thanks so much, Nicole. Mind okay. yourself. Take it easy. Take uh, right, 11.39 is the time. It is the opinion line. If there's anything you want to talk about, 1850 715 996 and our number is 083 396 96.
I found Joe Biden's cousin. Did you? This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Court's 96 FM. Beautiful Thursday morning, October 22nd. It's Casey and Ross standing in for PJ Coogan this morning. Yeah, I got some comments here from uh, essential services and questions from people. Mm. Kate says, I do not understand why clothing and footwear are not classed as essential, especially children's clothing and footwear my wife raised the same point to me last night she was like how am I supposed to get the child's feet measured uh, and a listener on Facebook that, she did yeah in that voice in that yeah, point, yeah I made a wrong decision many years ago <laughs> uh, and a listener on Facebook has said I've received this email today from Aid Cosmetic Dental Company it says they are an essential services mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering how in the name of God is this an essential service they may employ dentists but it's an aesthetic uh, clinic so okay. it's not it's not repairs and stuff it's literally you know veneers and stuff like that and straightening uh, with so many other industries going out of business how can this be deemed essential please do not share my details uh, we are self-employed ourselves and face a very uncertain future but this seems like they are taking advantage of a loophole uh, it may be but then it's the question of what's essential what's not someone earlier on said that you know their hair and makeup for weddings that seemed deemed very essential from a bride from a bride's perspective maybe if yeah, you can course, eat an yeah. apple through a letterbox yeah. you know fixing your teeth <laughs> is very essential <laughs> absolutely uh, right business time let's go it's uh, it's an interesting one this isn't it it is this battle Battle of the big guns. And then Trump is on the front of the paper this morning, uh, on the front of the Independent. Uh, US President Donald Trump maintains a bank account in China. Really? And Britain and Ireland. Who's surprised? Who's surprised? He has a Henry Hippo savings account, you know, and he's got the the little hippo as well. I'd say he was collecting those uh, those bottler things as well from the SO garages. You know it, yeah. (laughs) Any day now he'll pull up to an SO garage to collect his uh, his radio watch. (laughs) (laughs) It's great, it's great. It's going to be great. analog. Uh, Joe Biden's cousin from Mayo, Loretta Blewett, is on the line. Hello, Loretta, how are you? It's Loretta, I can't believe you just did that. What did I do? It's Loretta. Loretta. Did I call you Loretta? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Listen, he's from Mayo, he can't, he can't read very well. <laughs> I'm from your neck of the woods, you should be more sympathetic. Oh, Loretta, I do apologise. Listen, um, they, they describe the, uh, how far out are you? As far out as the moon now, or is he second or third cousin or what? No, third cousin, yeah. So wow. my dad and himself are third, third cousins. Uh, so not very far out at all, no. Okay. No, should Jesus, I mean, third cousin in Mayo, you could you could nearly court. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a pretty crazy thing to be able to say. Now, if the election goes the way it's predicted to go, uh, that's, uh, you're, you're going to be cousins with the, the President of America. That's mm. pretty exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, he was obviously here in 2016 when he was the vice president and uh, we got to spend some time with him and uh, it was lovely. Yeah, so yeah. I, he also invited me to the White House as well. So I got to do that before he left office and uh, I've seen him a good bit. I'm, I work for the hospice as well in Mayo and uh, the Mayo Roscommon Hospice and he came and turned the sod on our first ever Mayo hospice um uh, in 2017, which was a, a, a lovely thing for him to do personally yeah. and for us as well. Now, uh, when you said that you went to the White House, that was that when you got the Medal of Freedom from Barack Obama? Correct, yeah. 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 I, myself, my brother and my brother-in-law were, were fortunate enough to be there. So it was a brilliant, brilliant day. And just to be in the dining room of the White House and wow. be up close and personal with the president was, was pretty good. But he didn't expect you over, did he? Was it uh, a, bit, no, a bit of a surprise? It was a surprise in one way because I was due to go over and spend a few days with him and then his staff realised that something special was happening about two days beforehand. They didn't know exactly what. 
So they told him, listen, change your plan. Larissa can't actually come now. Yeah. She just can't travel. So he was like, oh, so that's a bit disappointing because obviously it was at the end of his tenure and he was about to leave office. So it's going to be my last opportunity to get over. And uh, then it was a big surprise on the day. So it was lovely. Now, obviously, Barack Obama has cousins in Offaly. Uh, you've got, you know, Joe Biden has cousins in, in Mayo. Uh, funnily enough, nobody has actually stepped up and said that they're Trump's cousin. <laughs> yeah, not yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I you wonder why. You yeah. Yeah, you'd claim COVID faster than you'd claim Trump. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have a, do you have Joe, like, in a, in a WhatsApp group? Is he, is, have, you, have you that kind of an access to him? <laughs> Joe doesn't really like using the phone as much as Trump, which is good for him. You know, yeah. he's not a he's not a serial tweeter, he's not a serial texter, so I think he's safer that way. Yeah. Um what's he like outside of the this this politician that we see and this figure that we see? Um, I think what we see is quite quite much what he's like. You know, yeah. he's a very genuine, nice, warm, warm man. He's very um family orientated, very uh, he's very genuine, which is kinda you know, the difficult to say as a, for a politician but you know he's uh, obviously suffered a lot in his own life with mm-hmm. his first wife dying and his daughter dying in a horrific car accident and his two sons almost killed in that accident as well um, and then obviously his son Bo dying in 2015 so he's he's had a lot of suffering in his life and I think anyone that has you know has a real element of realness to them and uh, understands what it's like to suffer and uh, you know you see that with him all the time he's a very warm kind human being and we saw that with the hospice as well obviously his, his son died of brain cancer and uh, his son Bo's name is going to be forever attached to the Mayo hospice um, and, and he was so kind to us with the turning of the sod and then obviously coming over to do that all off his own bat you know putting himself up flying over all of that um, with no expense to us and then um, sent us a lovely video for the opening of it last year as well. So he's a genuinely good guy, you know. Yeah. Now, there's so much with it being the presidential election and also with the current president that's there, it, you know, it has become more of a media circus than it normally is. And also it's almost become a Comedy Central roast where mm-hmm. where it's, you know, there's a lot more defamatory remarks made and personal attacks like, you know, the the nickname of Sleepy Joe that, that Trump, uh, you know, coined and saying that, you know, a lot of the, you know, the Fox News and stuff are saying, oh, he's he's declining mentally and his faculties aren't there and he can't speak without a teleprompter. Like, what do you say to stuff like that? Having, you know, having actually spoken to recently, annoying him, do you think that that kind of stuff is really... Uh, agenda-driven, or do you think, you know, that, that that's just part and parcel of running for president? Well, it's American politics. You know, Joe is 77 years of age, but, I mean, he's very much on the ball and he knows what's going on. I mean, it's rich coming from Trump to say that Joe Biden needs a teleprompter. Like, Trump needs everything he can get to get a full sentence out and sometimes, you know. So, look, that's only... That's politics, yeah. and, you know, and especially American politics is, is a lot dirtier than we have here and you're watching, you know, Fox News has an agenda, you know, powered by Trump and, mm-hmm. you know, Trump would say CNN is against him. So, I mean, it's it's just a vicious game. And in America, like, it seems to be, to me, that you can say anything in America and just get away with it, you know. Um, there's no repercussions at all. So I'm glad that we're not going down that road in Irish politics just yet anyway.
Yeah. Um, there's a gorgeous new commercial from from Young Americans that kind of illustrates uh, Joe's character. Um, they they released it the other day. Let's have a listen to it. My husband Corey's dad, Chris Hickson, was one of the victims of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting. This is Chris's son. I'm his son. You okay? You okay? You'll be okay. I don't have it in me a lot of times to give him that comfort. So it's been a lot for somebody else to give him to take that time and to care enough about him. My older son calls him Uncle Joe. He can be that person that can comfort our nation and bring us together. Yeah, that's the that's the big problem over there at the moment, isn't it? He's, he's, he's trying to get trying to get everyone back together and mm-hmm. uh, you know back not quarrelling and fighting. But that was Corey after he lost his dad at the Parkland shooting. It was a new ad uh, from Young Americans. Uh, that's that's really what Joe's all about. Well, that's it. You know, that's again what I was trying to, to tell you there. He's just a really warm, genuine guy, and um, that video is it brings a tear to your eye when you watch it. Um, and there's a lot more videos like that. There's Obviously, Joe had a stutter when he was younger, and there's a good video of a young lad that had a stutter, and he spoke to him, and he speaks to him regularly um, about that, you know. So there's, I think, as as always, if you have any suffering in your life, you have more empathy towards others, and uh, I think Joe definitely has that. Now, there's, there's, I've seen a video a few times on Instagram and TikTok of uh, Joe Biden defending opponents, uh, and even Obama years ago saying that, you know, he's not... Uh, a villain. He's not this. He's he's a man that shares different opinions to me, and and some that are the same. With Trump being so divisive, and with America never more so than now being split, like completely. I mean, it's so polarizing at the moment. Do you think that Biden has the ability to unify people, or to even get people back to a more kind of common common ground? Well, I mean, it's going to have a massive task ahead of him, you know, for the next four years because there's been a lot of damage done in the last four years, whether that's been through Trump or it's just the way society is changing in America. But it is going to be a massive task for him. Um, But, you know, Joe's been a politician all his life. He's been the longest serving senator in American politics. Um, He knows nothing more than politics and uh, he's got great experience um, to do that. And I suppose if anyone is going to try to do it, he's the right man for the job. Listen, thank you so much for taking the call. It's very, very exciting. If the polls are going to go the way that they're suggesting it's going to go, there's going to be some celebrating up in Mayo in uh, in a few days' time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we well. I mean, with COVID now, you can't really do too much celebrating. But uh, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to dig out the American flag and stick it into the garden or something like that over the next few days. But yeah, it's getting very exciting now, and we're getting very close to it. I think it's like. 12 days or something uh, the big debate is on tonight of course mm-hmm. and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works out because yeah. uh, no. oh she's gone oh oh no Oh no! Sorry about that. Apologies. Uh, I was way. just going to ask her because uh, Lorita is uh, she worked with Tommy and Hector on iRadio. Yeah, uh, and she also is their co-presenter and producer of the podcast as well that the three of them are doing, which is actually brilliant. It's excellent. Yeah, yeah, I listened yeah. to three episodes and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I was wondering uh, what what the, what the two lads are. I assume that they would be left leaning. Maybe you, you know, don't I'm know. Assuming. Yeah. Um, but, but then uh, again Hector could be Trump's first cousin we, again he just has said nothing about <laughs> the, it the hair is quite similar <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway uh, she's yeah. back on line one actually oh brilliant okay sorry we, we lost her there for a second um, sorry about that sorry, I don't guys. know what happened uh, we, uh, I thought you had enough of me no, no. we've never <laughs> had enough of you we, we were just plugging your, your excellent podcast with Tommy and Hector you're doing a great job how's it been yeah. going for you 
Thanks very much. Our seventh episode is out today as yeah. well, uh, available for download and subscription with True Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're really, really enjoying it. I suppose we came around at a good time when people needed a bit of a lift and a bit of a laugh yeah. uh, during COVID. So yeah, we're we're enjoying the crack and we hope everyone that's listening is enjoying it as well. I know you've gone from the hen house to a pub, so will, will, <laughs> there, will, there, be, will there be any more kind of pubcasts coming, coming the way? Weren't we lucky to get into the you, pub? You weren't, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at 11 o'clock. In the morning, we took full value out of that. I could assure you. Yeah. Um, but uh, look, at, I suppose now for the next few weeks we'll be curtailed with what we can do, and uh, hopefully, you know, coming up towards Christmas, we might get on the road again and head off somewhere exciting, and maybe even come to beautiful Mayo. Uh, come down to Cork as come well. We'd love, we'd love, <laughs> we'd love to have you down here. Listen, great, great yeah, to talk to you, and lovely to meet you again. And uh, Thanks, mind, guys. mind yourself, and best of luck to you and to Uncle Joe. Go all right, Team Biden. <laughs> Take it easy. Thanks, Good luck. Okay, uh, all right, it is quarter to eleven, quarter to twelve. Sorry, on the opinion line here at Cork's ninety six FM. Uh, we kind of touched on weddings uh, a little yeah. bit earlier on with uh, with the whole situation about essential services and uh, wedding and hair and makeup, which is essential for a bride. Uh, we're going to try and get more answers about that a little bit later on today. But one lady wants to give away her wedding dress and her bridesmaid dresses nice. to somebody who really needs it. We had some issues at the tunnel. Uh, it was closed heading to Mahan. The fire brigade and the guards were dealing with an incident there and long delays but we are informed that the tunnel is open and up and running again which is great. Uh, we got a text from somebody who says all members of Ongarda Shikona who set up checkpoints this morning should be ashamed of themselves as they broke their oath. This morning they acted as police officers pushing a corporate legal system act not a lawful system of the sovereign Irish people are they no longer public servants if so what do you, what, what do you want them to do mm. like do you want them to just go uh, lads you're out there doing this no actually I'm going to stand to my oath and st-. they're not Iron Man and Captain America like they're yeah. doing something that they've been told to do we have to have faith to a certain extent in the system everyone has to have faith in community mm-hmm. and then they're meant to be doing a job what do you want them to do do you want them to just go out and just run around like vigilantes and beat people up in, in, in alleyways that think they're doing wrong like it's a little bit. I'm just dying to give out to someone. I'm just <laughs> yeah, go let it out. Yeah, Ross. I just listen. There's, there's a level where you think, hey, you know, the guards should be serving the people, but also the guards also have to serve the infrastructure. So uh, even though it wasn't probably planned out as best as it could have been, yeah. Uh, also, I don't think it's a conspiracy, and I don't think that the government are trying to infiltrate our brains by making us turn off at Little Island. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, you never know. You never know. You just you never, never know. know. Hindsight's twenty twenty, <laughs> and it's been a it's been a weird year, twenty twenty. Uh, right, let's go through this and see how we get on uh, because there's a lady here who wants to give away her wedding dress and the bridesmaid dresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Gray. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? Good morning. How are you? We're, We're great. No, listen, you've used them. Uh, the, the the wedding has gone ahead. It's, it was all successful, I hope. Yeah, so I actually didn't use them at all. So Did you not? No. So I've had two different dates. I got legally married, but I didn't wear the dress. It was at the registration okay. office. You didn't so even get dressed up for the big day. I, I wore like a nice red dress, but I didn't wear the big Royal Couture dress. And okay. I really want to give it to a good home. Yeah. Um, a, re- a red dress on your, I mean, Scarlet O'Hara. <laughs> 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 so describe what it is you have and uh, let us know exactly what, what the bridesmaid dress, what that looks like as well. Yeah, so I have, it's called a Kenneth Winston Royal Couture dress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a size 14 to 16, but it can be altered. Yeah. And then I have four um, light kind of blush uh, bridesmaid dresses from size small to medium, like four of those. 
So I'm giving the full package, the full five dresses away to a bride in Cork who, you know, they've been upset about their day being moved or, you know, that they're finding hard to plan ahead. And I just want to give it to someone and it to go to a good home. You're just giving um, these away? I am giving them away. So it's wow. worth altogether it's 3,500 and they've never been worn. Wow. That's I mean, you you would you would you would assume and think that somebody will go. I'll cut my losses and I'll put them up on you know a done deal for fifteen hundred quid or something yeah. like that. But uh, very very altruistic. Everyone said it to me, and I said, you know what? I'd much rather it go to um, a bride who you know has been upset or devastated by all the changes that wouldn't get cancelled and. Um, so I much prefer to give it to someone in court. Well, listen, we're talking about mental health so much this morning and Brezzy and everything. And a lot of the time as well, you know, people talk about men's mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what, what you've done is you've probably taken a massive problem out of somebody's life, which could have a knock-on effect into other things as well. So I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Like, like we, we've had two different dates for our wedding. We had 190 people, then went down to 20, then went down to six. So it was just, you know, I said, um, put on the red dress, give give away the wedding dress. Um, because it doesn't mean anything to me because I never actually wore it. Okay, you know, so yeah. There's no sentimental value with it. So, And it's a beautiful dress. It's kind of gorgeous. Thing. It is absolutely yeah, stunning. stunning. And somebody's going to be very lucky to get this. Now, uh, I suppose the big question is, how do people get in contact with you? What do you want to do? So anybody, it's open to the public. Now, mm-hmm. let's yeah. let's be straight about this. We want a bride wearing this on a special yeah. day. We yeah. don't want somebody taking it and popping it up on Dundee. No, no. 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 Like, that would break my heart. Yeah. So um, I set up an email address. So it's freeweddingdresscork at gmail.com. Um, and when you email, you get sent an automatic email with the photos. Oh, so wow. To make sure someone actually does like the images. And then if you like them, you reply back. And then the giveaway is going to be on Sunday. Okay, so that one more time, that email address, please. So it's freeweddingdresscork at gmail.com. The procedure that you put in place for somebody to get a free wedding dress is better than what the government have put in place for contact tracing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could you, I, I could you solve the country for us? Like, I'm going to do this very organised. Yeah, <laughs> contact dressing. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, yeah. that, that is one of the nicest things I've, I've heard in a long time and it's a great way to end the show and I'm a okay. huge believer in, in karma coming back to you tenfold. Well, let's, let's do a little karma, right? Yeah. When we're back on the breakfast show, yeah. let's get you on and we try and get you two grand in the two grand minute. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, yeah. thank you. Brilliant. Yeah. Text, text us when we're back, so. Yeah, fantastic. Sarah, the very best of luck. Uh, we're going to give, give out that email address one more time. So it's freeweddingdresscork at gmail.com. Fantastic. Get online, drop a little email, you'll get a response with a picture of the dresses. If you've got a friend or a buddy mm-hmm. or you're getting married yourself, do this. Get yep. in contact. Yep. And uh, Sarah, thank you so much. Stay in contact thank with you. us and let us know who the lucky punters are, okay? I will, of course. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks a million. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Bye 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 bye. bye, 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 bye. Just got a text and this might be interesting for tomorrow. Lads, do you want some breaking news? Announcement from Tennis Ireland that all tennis courts close with immediate effect. Uh, initially, there was up uh, update that the courts could remain open with restrictions, but now that has been reversed. So they're moving the goalposts even after they made the announcements. How do you move the goalposts goal for post, tennis? But the nets. The nets, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, by the way, just to mention, Premier League is happening here on Cork's 96FM. You can join Trevor Welch on 96FM.ie this Saturday, the Premier League live exclusively online and it's powered by TalkSport. So this Saturday, we will bring you uh, through the 96FM app or your smart speaker, West Ham versus Man City at 12.30, Fulham versus Crystal Palace at 3, United and Chelsea, huge game, 5.30, and then we've got Liverpool and Sheffield United 
United at 8 I'll be keeping an eye on that one myself the Premier League live online exclusively and live every Saturday get the 96FM app on your phone or go to 96FM.ie and uh, that is it that is it thank you to Fergal thank you to Terry everybody that got in contact with the show this morning uh, the place didn't burn down not yet yes not yet but okay. something is smouldering in the corner we'll talk to you tomorrow planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.